Welcome to The Kitchen Table, a podcast about where business is done. So pull up a chair and join your host, Ken Baden. Is that your dog? Hell yeah, bro. I wish it better not be somebody else's dog pumped up there. That's my man, dude. What's his name? Duke. My grandfather used to have a dog named, a German shepherd named Duke. He's a little bit bigger than that picture there, but he's almost, he's almost full size now. He's a year and some change. Nice. He's a. What's that belt? That is our PCR monthly heavyweight champ belt. So the guy that does the most uh, volume for the month, we do a picture, we give him a little cash bonus, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And then the guy defends it that month. And if you defend it, Throughout the year, whoever gets the most title defenses is the year's heavyweight champ. Nice. Uh, I love that stuff. Yeah, dude. They, it's so they, fun. They eat it up, man. It's, and, it's the stuff that is, I was telling somebody that was in a new sales manager position. And um, I've seen it so many times. Somebody gets a new position. They get so excited and they come up with all these initiatives and <laughs> ideas like the heavyweight belt or whatever. And then they don't stick with them because they, they give themselves too many you know, too many initiatives, too right. many. And uh, I just always say, if you if you come up with something cool, stick with it because consistency is is everything. Yeah, because you want them to buy in. I yeah. mean, if you do it for three months and then you skip it a month, it's you know they they uh, it loses its effect. And then the next time you do it, they don't get as excited about it. It's funny you say that because the gentleman that won, and this is really somber, but it's the truth, passed away uh, like a really freak thing but he was just so good dude and uh so it's like we just kind of i don't know we've got a bunch of new guys in there now i think it would be just fine to bring back but it was kind of like a couple months of just you know uh, yeah I mean? and once it goes it's hard to bring back I know. it's awkward i know right yeah i i do um i don't know if i ever sent them to you those monthly videos mm. no, yeah, well actually they're weekly i don't know the monthly, daily monthly, ones you used to do no i do monthly videos okay and um i missed it one month and then it was just awkward for me to do the next month. You know, like I, it was just hard to do it. Yeah. And then another one was, it, then the next month was a terrible month. Like we didn't, we didn't have a good sales month. So <laughs> how I preach to be, you know, excited and up and motivated, no matter how you do, it was hard to actually do it right. and get a, get on the video and get excited about. You wanted to get on there and be like, dude, what the, f- yeah. what's going on here? Yeah. Right, I'm going to do, uh, so I'll just do this so you have it. But ultimately what we usually do is. Welcome everybody to the Kitchen Table Podcast. It's me, Ken B, in the house with my freaking original gangster, OG mentor. I'm so excited about this. The one and only Adam Champagne. With a name like that, you better be what he is, actually. So, I mean, but what's up, dude? What's up, buddy? I'm so excited to have you in here today, man. I know the guys are probably equally excited. They've been hearing about you for like the last few years. Adam's been my mentor now. How many years now, Adam? A couple of years at least, right? Yeah, a couple of years. Met you through Mina. Mm-hmm. And Mina, who was also on the podcast. And so. It was, it was a good, it was great. I the podcast? It. Yeah. yeah, Mina's was great. I loved it. I love that guy. He's the best. He's amazing. He's, and he did, and he just cuts your hair. So ultimately I was like, he's like, yeah, you might know this dude. Uh, and I knew who Home Fix was certainly. But when I figured out who you were, because I mean, you know, our industry's small, man. Mm-hmm. And Adam is also, and I let him introduce himself and what he did actually by all means, please list your resume so that people know who they're messing with here. So, you know, currently I'm the CEO of HomeFix, which is a $50 million a year 
home improvement company, a lot like Potomac. We're retail, not, you know, we don't do insurance, window siding, roofing doors, uh, and now solar roofing, which is uh, become a, a big part of our business. I am um, the founder of a company called Pure Finance, which is a consumer finance company. We finance uh, home improvement companies like like yours and, mm-hmm. and our other competitors. I am the uh, founder of a company called Installation Services, which is, uh, it started, it was uh, formerly Mid-South Building Supply, bought the company with my partner in an asset purchase. Um, and, you know, we re- originally didn't even really know what we were going to do with it. It was going to be a services company or uh, <laughs> a... a um, execution company we were executing on contracts that were written by by home fix um not necessarily other contractors but of course i couldn't help myself once we <laughs> once we bought it and i i end up in, you know picking up 10 million dollars in in other contractors work in the first year um which is smart yeah now it's evolved to really be two separate businesses within a business there's our residential subcontracting business and then the, the much more robust uh, a commercial services company commercial construction and you um, guys do a lot of commercial right a lot and open to do a lot more i love it um and then um i am also you know a partner in a, a, a minority partner in our our family of companies uh in a, in a solar company as well solar energy world which is no small they're huge and so those, I mean, I think what every single one of those are eight or nine figure companies at least. And I mean, like you said, 50 million home fixes, a top 25 remodeling company. And last time I checked solar energy world will do over a hundred million. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a tribute to them, which I, you know, I, it's not, uh, I am not, uh, unfortunately I don't get to be uh, active in that company, but I get to work with all of them every day and they, they have an unbelievable team and they got to really, um, benefit from the fact that they kind of spawned from home fix. They got to really see the things that didn't, didn't work at home fix first. And they got to avoid a lot of those mistakes we made right. before them. So they, they really got a really strong foundation and, and they got in on solar in, in you know, 2010. So they were way ahead of the game. Wow. Yeah. So they've just, they've exploded. Um, and that's huge, man. Cause yeah. that there are no, I know, I'll be honest with you going up against them. I'm always like, yeah, you can't good. compete. You know, Dave, I asked, uh, cause I was listening to another podcast. Um, and the guy was talking about, uh, no, actually, no, I was reading shoe dog. Um, Phil Knight's book. I haven't read He's that. He's a founder of Nike. Unbelievable book, but he was talking about, you know, making a product that is best of class in the industry and taking market share that way, you know, doing, figuring out what you do better than anyone. So I was talking to one of the guys at Solar and I said, what is, what does Solar Energy World do better than everyone else? And his first answer, which was what I saw too, is, is their sales process. And it really is. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's really easy to, um, you know, and you'd probably see this in the insurance, you know, selling restoration. You can probably sell at least half the people you meet with just for the fact that the insurance company is paying for the roof. Right. But if you have an, uh, a, um, you know, a, a excellent uniform scripted 
sales process, consultative process that educates a homeowner, you're going to sell nine out of 10. Right. Cause you should. And with solar, I truly believe you should sell 10 out of 10. I don't think you should ever, there's no reason not to ever go solar. If your home is eligible for solar is the only reason you shouldn't do it. Right. Because it's basically a cashless exchange to stop buying dirty, expensive energy from the energy company and start producing your own clean, cheap energy. And you've got the GA, GAF solar roof. So Home Fix, Home Fix. sells the GAF. Right, solar right, right, roof. right. Excuse me. We were we were one of the first um, to offer it. Solar Energy World sells rack mounted panel systems, um, which is the traditional solar. Traditional solar, see. and they don't really cross paths very much because, um, you know, one GF is not going to be a candidate for a, for someone with a new roof. So if you have, if your roof's been replaced, you got to get traditional solar. Um, two, the best, really, we've found the best customer for, for a solar roof is someone who's getting their roof replaced. Mm. So you have two choices, get, get, get a roof that, you know, um, cost you a lot of money and, and, uh, and protects your home, but you know, looks nice, but you're not excited about, right? No one wants a roof or right. you can uh, replace your roof and the government could pay for a portion of it and can start powering your home. And it looks cool. It does look it, cool. It looks really high. cool. So yeah. yeah that, not to be confused with the Tesla roof, by the way, no, which, which I'm pretty sure is kiboshed. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, there was a, I read an article about it yesterday, but yeah, they're, they're in, uh, they're, they're, they're basically done. Yeah. They take weeks to install. It's, it's not a shingle where GF's a nailable solar shingle it's just a million little solar panels tied together they don't work they they, they are incredibly expensive super and, expensive yeah and, and 90 percent of them are failing and to, to try and fix it you have to trace every single mm. little panel in the home to try and find why it's not working elon's my guy man but that I love one was him. a miss dude he didn't well he I mean, he didn't care about it right he could yeah when yeah. he took over solar city he wanted nothing to do with it <laughs> you know that's why he Bailed his cousins out and, you know, um, which worked out for us because our, our CEO, uh, it was one of the guys that were really high up at, at solar city, uh, the CEO really? of solar energy world. Yeah. He's awesome guy. I talked to him, you know, as, as much, anytime I have anything, I want to run it by him. He's an unbelievable wealth of knowledge when it comes to solar. Oh, I freaking could only imagine. Yeah. So top, let's see here. How many, is that five companies? Four, four companies. Who knows? I mean, you're, you're always got your hands in something new. And I was just talking about this and we'll do some more content later. But my point is I was talking about this before you showing up, I was making a video for myself, my Facebook, my social, trying to grow that brand, but talking about how you are very similar to myself and that, like what I really like about you and what I, what I made me feel better about myself is when I met you, I was like, okay, this dude, first of all, I can relate a lot to him. Because I can tell, you know, you, you right off the bat, one thing you did was when we were sitting in your office and you were like, I was talking about something, you stopped me. You're like, hey, look, by the way, if I interrupt you, I'm not being rude. It's just if something pops in my head, uh, I, I've got ADHD and it just is going to come out. So, and then you just kept going. I was like, so that's what it's like talking to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and honestly, because I get that all the time, but it made me feel so much more comfortable and confident because... I want to have my hands in all these different things and seeing someone like you and succeed just so well at it and kind of compartmentalize that, make it a strength really encouraged me, man. So that's really, 
was one thing where I like dove in on Adam. Like I got to figure out how this guy's figured out how to make that work for him. And I've met a few people since then, but take us through, man. Like you didn't just like fall into all of this. Right. So I know that you've got a super interesting story. You started on like, not wall street, the uh, politics, Capitol Hill, Capitol Hill, right. Started on Capitol Hill. You got this crazy story. Take us from, if you'd like before Capitol Hill, but how the hell did you get, from Capitol Hill to selling roofs to now being CEO and all where you are. I mean, the listener, the whole premise of the show is to learn what I hope to learn from you on a daily, but these guys are only going to get a little taste of that. But like, talk about that. You know, how did you get from here to there? Well, before I do uh, what you were just saying, um, you know, you're talking about uh, the first time we met. And so the first part of that was, that I always felt vulnerability is the best currency to develop a quick friendship. So if you have a weakness in yourself and you identify it in someone else, like if I'm ADD, I, I am, my mind is going, which is a, a strength as well. My mind's going 10,000 miles an hour. You know, uh, it's, it's so hard to stay, you know, focused or, or I'm super focused. So right. I just don't even know what else is going on. But uh, yeah, so I usually, if I, one that'll take your guard down and kind of help, you know, make the ex, give you kind of accelerate that relationship. But also, uh, you know, I've just been able to found, find a lot of life hacks, which is kind of just, I like, you know, just finding cheats to get there faster. And so with, with the ADD, I either carry a, um, an iPad and I'll be like, I'm not being rude on my iPad, but I'm going to be typing notes the entire time you're talking, because if not, if I don't download these thoughts that come to my head, so I'll say them later, I will jump in and just start blurting them out. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a good, good tactic for those that have ADD and it's, they're hard to focus and listening because listening is, is such an important every year. And my, my goals for the year is to be a better listener. Mm. And it's, it's just so important. Um, so I don't have anything to write on today, so I'll, I'll try and uh, <laughs> stay focused. But, um, anyway, so, uh, so that's a, a broad question of, of how I got where well, yeah, I am. What's the backstory? But I will try and, uh, I'll well, usually I tell people think high school to now, yeah. but I know you came from, Capitol I'll start Hill, earlier. So exactly. <laughs> usually high school to yeah. now is what I tell it, folks. Uh, but. It's for my, uh, story. I got to start a little earlier. Sure, for man. Start where you, it starts, brother. The, the, as brief a version as possible. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I think has been a big motivator for me and is really kind of helped me achieve the level of success that I have is I had a really tough childhood, like, and, and not tough in that I was, you know, uh, you know, living on the streets or, or, you know, um, you know, just different ways people have tough, tough childhood, but I was, my parents divorced basically when I was born. So I never really, they, they were kind of together when I was born. Um, I, they were, they probably never should have been married. My, they were both really smart, which was, was where the, uh, attraction came. They, they met at Northwestern and, um, they were both just brilliant. Uh, my mom ended up, uh, becoming a college professor got a PhD. My father, uh, became a, a surgeon and, uh, after, you know, they were 17 years old in college when they met and they're young and, and, you know, think they know what they, they want to do. Well, well, they started growing apart fast because they're, they're very different. My father's a, you know, brilliant guy, conservative, just smart, you know, did all the right things. My mom was just wild. 
Yeah. I mean, she was a hippie in the sixties and kind of never, never really left that mentality. And so, uh, my mom, uh, basically started sleeping around, you know, uh, maybe before I was born, you know, she used to, uh, this is, this is how my mom spoke to me when I was a kid. She'd say when I was, when I was five or six years old, mind you, she'd be like, you know, I never really was, I, I, I wasn't even sure your father was your father. Cause I was sleeping with so many men at the time, but when you came out and, and you were white, I knew the odds were it was you oh, wow. because my mom taught at historically black colleges uh, and she would date her students. Oh, wow. So she taught, she taught at Bowie state and Howard university for a long time. Told you this at five. Yeah. That's how my mom would speak to me. So, and, she, and, and she was just, uh, I was always the parent in our relationship, mm-hmm. even as a little kid. So anyway, it was tough not having a mom around. My mom loved me, but she just was not meant to be a mother. So she dated young guys. She partied, she, did whatever she did. She wasn't around much. So I, I don't really know. Um, and so it was me and my dad, my dad was a really, really hardworking guy. Mm-hmm. He, um, he married my stepmom, who, um, you know, she was there for me. She did everything for me. I, I wouldn't have eat, eaten dinners, gone to school, done my homework without her, but it's, you know, it's never the same as having a mom right. that, you know, unconditionally loves you no matter what you do. And, you know, it just, I was lonely as a kid. And then for whatever reason, I also was picked on. I was really sensitive as a kid. Um, it was just, I didn't, I just didn't thrive. Um, and I went to a a small private school in Annapolis. I was like, they literally, they, they called us the nerd herd. I sat at the (laughs) nerd table, you know, and this was a group where, all the kids were all friends. They all played sports together. All their parents were friends. And I was a complete outcast, right? I couldn't even bring my mom around the school right. you know, because she, I mean, her license plate said funky diva on them. Oh, her wow. car had like, it looked like it was like out of menace to society. She had like rims and like, it was all decorated. And um, <laughs> so like, I would literally make her drop the, the few days she'd take me to school, I'd make her drop me off of the street. Cause I'm not pulling to the carpool line with all the, you know, Range Rovers right. and Mercedes and right. with my mom and her, and her, and her Nissan Sentra that's like lowered. And, uh, mm. and then my dad just worked all, I mean, he was a surgeon. He was just a hard worker. This is all he knew. He came from, you know, he didn't come from much. So he was, so it, so I was just alone. It's if you, if the one thing I think of childhood is just being alone all the time. So I was miserable. Um, I never played a sport ever. Growing up, like I, I mean, I was never on a team. I was mm-hmm. never, and you know, my parents never really, my dad never really offered to put me on a team. He never really, just never, it was never presented to me. So by the time I got, you know, to junior high or high school, um, and people were sports was a big thing, and that's what you know the cool kids play sports. Right. Um, I was, I didn't want to, I didn't even know how to catch a ball, like you know. So I didn't, I was too embarrassed or shy to try playing sports. And I was, I grew six inches. I grew to six, seven. And when I was 14, I was going to say, when did you turn into like, everyone thinks I'm going to play basketball or something, but I don't even know how to (laughs) hold a basketball. So I just kind of avoided it. So I I ended up, so I went to this, this private school, uh, Indian Creek in Annapolis, which um, is a great place. Amazing place. Now my kids go there. I'm on the board there. I'm super involved. Love the school. 
it only went to eighth grade. Then when eighth grade came around, I was just tired of being the outcast. And I was like, dad, I want to go to public school. And I knew I also was a, a kind of the, the kid of two lives. I lived with my dad, uh, you know, mainly, mm. and he was a, he was a local doctor, but he wasn't, you know, super wealthy. He was like the millionaire next door guy where he was conservative. He saved every penny, you know, invested his money, right. Did everything right. You know, which is probably why I'm the complete opposite now. Um, and, uh, he, uh, and then my mom, you know, she lived in, um, you know, an apartment downtown Annapolis. Um, when I'd go over there, you know, at any age, I could just run the streets, do whatever right. I wanted. She had no rules whatsoever. It was my house was the kids, the houses, the kids in the neighborhood would come over to, you know, smoke pot when they were 13 years old or, right. you know, whatever. This was the house where the, you know, the, the mom had no rules. Right. So, so I wanted to go. So I knew those kids. So I want to go to public school where I could be accepted. Right. I was dying to be accepted. And I did, I tried, you know, I wanted to be in any group I could be in. I was, you know, a skater for a while, sure. or I was, you know, like way into you know rap music i was always my mom was way in rap music she, she got me into it real young right I, I mean we were listening to nwa in the car when i was five years old um so so i want to go to public school <laughs> That's so i go cool, i go to broadneck and great i i started for the first time getting friends and um probably over trying. Right. So I, I overcompensated right. one to have fun. And so the grades, you know, went terrible. Well, to my, you know, to my father, that was, that was just not happening. You know, me getting bad grades and, and messed around school. And I was lost with ADD, which wasn't even a thing yet. I never heard of ADD. I was just lost. Like right. I might as well have not have gone to school. So my dad, when I, when I came home with a bad report card after, you know, a, a year and a semester in public school, he sent me to military school. Right. So I go to this military school, Randolph Macon Academy, which is basically like a, 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 a prison, like a, a reform school. It might as well be juvie. There's a, there's a, there's a, a lot of tough kids there that have messed up in life. Um, and, and it's cause it's a military school. They give them a rank. So you can, it's basically a license to uh, abuse kids. Uh, it was not a, a, a great place. and. I ended up getting in fights all the time. I got beat up and jumped a bunch of times. It, I mean, it was a, it was a violent place. Um, I, I did get get good grades again, so so that helped. <laughs> and uh, and I was at that time I was so depressed and so lonely. I wasn't talking to my parents. Um, I I just was just giving up. And finally, I think I got beat up one too many times. Um, and I called my dad and told him everything was going on. I was depressed and whatever. And my dad drove down there and pulled me right out. Yeah. So, uh, so I left there. So then, um, you know, I got to figure out where I'm going to go. And, um, my principal from Indian Creek, my dad called her, her name is Becky Randolph. And she recommended this place called St. James, which is a boarding school in Hagerstown. This place is, is, um, uh, you know, my image of boarding school is either this military school or what you see in the movies, these fan, you know, boarding schools in, in New England. I'm thinking, oh, great. I'm going to be around a bunch of rich kids again. They're going to pick on me and make fun of me. And I'm going to be another outcast. I was crying the day I got dropped off there. I was wearing, I remember I was wearing all black 
you know, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to lock myself in the room. I'm not going to talk to anybody. And um, two days later, my dad will tell you, I went to the payphone at payphones back then on the hall and called him like, this is the best place on earth. <laughs> because, you know, the first day of school, this guy who's my CFO today, this big guy, like he was 14, looked like he was 30, <laughs> with muscles, comes off the football field with all his buddies, my buddy Agaba and AG, and they, they all were coming off football practice the day I got dropped off. And I'm unpacking in my dorm room and they're walking by and I see these big guys. I'm used to them like beating me up and, uh, and they come in and they make friends with me. And, and I'm like, you know, normally the captain of the football team does not talk to me. Right. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. I mean, I still think about it all the time, like how much I idolize this guy and he's my, my CFO and best friend now. Um, and I made all these friends and St. James really is, it's just a beacon of light. Father Dunnan, who's who runs the school. I'm still very, very close with told me the first day he's like adam you're going to be safe here um because he knew my story right he knew why i was there and uh he's like this is your home now and it, it's amazing i mean it is the most uh the place is is literally a beacon of light it, it, the fact that more people don't know about it um but it, it is a, academically it's one of the hardest schools you'll ever go to. It was way harder than college. All my friends from, from St. James, we always talk about how easy college was because there's no way it compares to, to what, to how hard academically it was. They were a powerhouse in sports because they were able to recruit athletes, but they still held them to high academic standards. Mm. All your teachers live on campus. So you live in the dorms with your teachers. You have wow. six hours of homework a day in between every class. You have a study hall to do your homework. Then you have at night you're in the dorms, but your teachers are right there. If you have questions. Plus, you're required to play three sports. So, what'd you play? Uh, well, that yeah, and this kind of bringing back to the, the story of how you know the foundation of how I got here. So, for I get there first semester, and and I and I and and so first I made some friends. That's great. I'm excited. I was on a high. I came down when when I went when I you know went to the first day of rotation. Like you have to sign up for a sport. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, I've never played a sport before anything nine feet tall but. yeah ever okay so uh it's the fall and i look at the list of choices and um it, and one of, and i picked cross country i'm like i can't screw that up right you just run forward right it's, i should be able to do that because it's what's in the fall is it football soccer right i think those yeah. are fall sports i'm certainly not going to try those looking back i wish i did but um so I said, all right, I'll join the cross country team. Um, and uh, so I joined, uh, I signed up and, you know, I, I, you, you run, right. And then, you know, I kind of ran more and more. And then I remember the first meet that we had was the first like sporting event I'd ever done in my life now. So I'm 14, 15 years old and I'm doing my first event mm. and everyone's cheering for you. Cause at St. James cool. Every sporting event, everyone in the school comes to cheer you. If they're, they're available, they're all cheering for me as I ran in. Like I've never been cheered for before. I've right. never competed against anybody before. And it was a high, like I, I could feel it right now, like a visceral life changing moment. So it's kind of, and then, and then I figured out, I'm like, all right, with this sport, I don't need to be, I just need to work harder than everyone else. And if I work harder, Cause I can always just work harder. I just got to choose to work harder. I don't need to, I don't need to have training. I don't need to have coordination. I don't need to be athletic. I just need to work harder. 
It's that simple. So I just decided I am going to work harder at this than everyone else. So flash forward by the end of the season, I'm all, I'm all mid Atlantic runner. I'm running, you know, the 3.1, which is what you race across country in the mid 15 minutes. So three, five minute miles. And I'm just like, I'm going to run and work harder and than everyone else. And, and it was the first like foundation of that, um, mindset or, or that kind of life hack. Right. Right. Um, that, that really took the, it, it went into a, a million different, um, directions. So next, um, uh, I ended up, I joined the, we had a, we had a ski team, um, which was cool because we were right near whitetail. Um, so again, a sport I could do by myself, right? I don't need to be on a team. I, I was always worried about letting people down. If I want a team, I don't want to let anyone else down. Uh, and then I actually ended up did joining the lacrosse team because I was by the end of the, the, you know, that year I was comfortable enough to suck at something in front of my right. friends. And I, I sucked really awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, God, I was, I was more of a mascot than a team member, but, but <laughs> I, I was on the team. I remember we played my military school and like, we beat them like 15 to nothing. And every, there was so many hits and penalties in that game. Cause all my friends were like, just laying them out. You oh, know, nice, was, it was dude. revenge time. They knew it was. Up. Oh yeah. So, um, so anyway, um, so, so anyway, that was kind of that foundation. So I learned how to be a great student. I also got diagnosed with ADD there and got put on Adderall, which really changed my life. I learned how to study. I learned how to write, create, we create the, just the writers, the brilliant writers come out of that school. Um, I learned that thirst for learning. Um, so, you know, going back to, to kind of my, you know, childhood, I was lonely. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any sports. My hobby was politics. So my dad was my only friend and my dad was kind of into politics and he would listen to like political talk radio, like Rush Limbaugh or mm. less consolving was this one back then. And, you know, I started to pick it up. So that was my, you know, I was always, I was lucky. I had two smart parents and I got a, some of their intelligence. So I made up for my lack of, you know, uh, the, lack of all the natural things you have, like the good looks and great hair and yeah. athletic ability. And I, I was smart. So I, I figured out, I got a passion for politics. Like you said, when I was young, it was more of a passion for the free market and the, and economics and, and capitalism. And I loved the way I understood quickly how the free market works. I thought it was a me, I just an unbelievable. We were in the greatest country on the planet and we have the greatest system. Um, and then uh, also a good thing that came from my father and my mother. My dad, um, his, his favorite and most influential book was a book uh, called Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. And my mom, who was an English professor, um, also loved that book, even though my mom was, I always say, left of Bernie Sanders. You know, she was very... She was a social, she was a, a proud socialist, even and this book is really the the like the book that that founded libertarianism and free market thought. And you know, Ayn Rand, who wrote it, was Milton Friedman's uh mentor, who is the you know, Reaganomics and supply-side economics. Um, she was Alan Greenspan's mentor at University of Chicago. She's the one that got him out of the music program and into economics. So I was influenced very young by that book. Uh, Atlas Shrugged. And that book really sums up exactly what is so great about the free market and what's so great about our country. Um, 
And so I had this passion for free market, for libertarianism, um, kind of the government that governs least governs best, or, you know, individualism, people being themselves, right? I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, very passionate about um, letting people be themselves, right? I was an early on, you know, I couldn't believe that we didn't support gay marriage or we didn't, you know, why not let people just be who they want to be, love, they do love do. each other, right? Why are we telling people what they can do in their homes or with their bodies or whatever? So this stuff, very young, I, I was, I was uh, passionate about. It. it was a hobby. But then at, at St. James, I got to really learn how to now be a student and be a researcher and be a learner and be a writer and, and creative thought and argue with my teachers. And right. it was just amazing. So, um, so I, uh, uh, really refined those skills. And then, you know, the next year I, uh, I figured out like, so, all right, so I love this, this cross country thing going on, started to kind of get in shape. Um, I actually had some, some girls interested in me for the first time ever. I ended up screwing all that up because I didn't know how to act with girls. So, get, so if any girl liked me, I get so excited that I would scare them off in two days. Yeah. But for the first time I, I had some interest. So that was, that was cool. Um, so anyway, I was like, what's another sport that I can do that I could do by myself. And I'm not going to let anybody down. And if I screw it up, no, no, no. That's when I found martial arts. So I got, I got into, I went to, I started at a local high school. This guy was teaching martial arts for free in a gym. Hmm. And as, as hard as I went across country, I went 10 times harder at martial arts. Um, and what I, was the martial art you started with? So I started with Shotokan. What? Um, yeah, it's just, it's a form of, it's like Taekwondo. Okay. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually, it's what Jet Li used to do. Oh, so that's or at badass. least he used to do it. There was a lot of, there was movies that he would do it. in. I don't know. He probably did a lot of stuff, but so that was my first, but, but I ended up that, that was really that's the badass, start dude. of, of my trajectory um, where I started learning about physical fitness, mental fitness, meditation, eating right, um, working out and, and, and what that does. And then that evolved into, I, I ended up going to college, St. Mary's college. And, uh, one of my buddies who I met on campus, this guy, Josh, who, who works with me now, you know, Josh, Josh oh, Alexander. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Josh is, you on, met Josh there. Yeah. Josh is on campus and he's like all big and muscular and cool looking and, you know, handsome and, you know, just the opposite of the people that I was around when I was younger. And, uh, he was, I remembered like it was yesterday, he was going to the gym. I'm like, you're going to the gym. I'm like, I've never been in a gym before. I'll go with you. So then I found something else that I can work harder than everyone else. So then, you know, flash forward months later, I am like a gym rat. I live, I wake up every day and I'm in the gym and I saw some movie or read a book about waking up early and the power and the, the thing and that. So I start waking up earlier before everyone else I'm working out, I'm training martial arts. I then get into someone to teach me, start teaching me how to box. So I start learning uh, how to box. I put a heavy bag up and I just go nuts. So I become, I'm practically, you know, I become incredibly fit, become a, a really, really uh, good at, at martial arts and really excel um, through multiple disciplines, become a, a pretty good boxer. These, these are all sports where if you could just work harder than the others, you're, you're good. I learned the 
kind of the art and the science of boxing, mm-hmm. of keeping your guard up and and how you move. I was obsessed. I loved Mayweather and how he fought. And and um and you know, I'm in college. Uh I uh start getting more girls interested in me, which is really the biggest reason I want to do is because I wanted to get girls because now sure. I was a late bloomer to that. And you uh, gotta have something. Yeah. and and I got I ended up getting my wife. So it worked. That's where you met your wife. Well I met her I okay. met her I had college because my best friend's little brother. So my best friend in college, um, who I actually had known since I was 12, he was another one of those, he was the cool kid. He was like a world-class lacrosse player. Um, but he wasn't your typical lacrosse player with like the jocks. He kind of liked the nerds. So we were right. like, we became friends and um, his little brother, who is also a, one of the like best lacrosse players in the country played at Navy, his girlfriend from, from high school came down. They would always come down from the Academy to party with us. Cause in okay. Naval Academy, you're not allowed to do anything. So they come down to my college. I was bartending at the best bar down there. And he would, he brought his girlfriend who was, it was there actually like she was 17 and I'm getting her in the bar and, and she was the hottest girl I'd ever seen in my life. He ends up breaking up with her. He ends up marrying his roommate at the Naval Academy's sister. Um, they were, I mean, and they were at our wedding. He's still my friend you know, today. Um, and then I just stalked Courtney for the next couple yeah. of years. Cause I, I, she was literally the hottest girl I ever seen. Um, and, and I, that's how I got her. So I met her in college, freshman year of college. She was in high school and, uh, and they're together. So anyway, um, so I go to college, I get, you know, I, I did, I just did everything to its best, right. They wanted to, there was, when I first got there, I heard about this, uh, investment broker, investment banker that was a former president of college at a small firm. And he hired one intern a year to work there. I wanted that internship. I met him. I realized he was a old man that loved pretty girls. So uh, I, I went, I brought my girlfriend at the time over to his house to apply for the job because I knew he'd, he'd like me just because I had a pretty girlfriend and uh, he hired me. So uh, I had a great job there, which, which I really think started like, the fact that I had a job like that before even graduating college, I think is part of the reason I ended up getting my job on the Hill. Then there was a, a bar down there called the Green Door, which was the coolest yeah, place to be. I know what that it was is. Famous. Dude. I was like, I, being a Green Door bartender at St. Mary's was like being a football player at, at Nebraska. Like I you are, you're, you are set. You make ton. You make more money than you can spend. No one knows what we're talking about, but yeah. I'm from that area. I don't. I've never been there. It's never been, famous. and I know what it is. So it's a biker bar. The, the um, you know, so the, the, a lot of biker gangs down there. It is the the largest naval air base yep, is down Pax there, Pax River. So it's a it's a Navy and Marine bar. There's a Coast Guard base down there, and it's a college bar. So it is it is awesome. Like it is Roadhouse times. <laughs> so I was first a bouncer there. There's fights every night, so it never got boring. Uh, and then I was a bartender there at, at 18 years old. I was bartending. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, which you're not supposed to do. Say, obviously, yeah. Well, there's no laws down there. Um, that is true. And, uh, so anyway, I had a job, but I, I just do it to the fullest, right. I'm going to work the hardest. So I was, I just, I, I, it, whatever I was doing, whether it's bartending or school or boxing, I would just work harder than everyone else. I just do it more extreme than the others. And I love the satisfaction that it gave me. And I started, I never, I also realized later since I never had friends for the first 15, 16 years of life, I wanted 
friends. So with anything that brought people around me and made people like me, I'd want to do more and more and more of because it was like a drug. Um, which is good though, because it was an easy motivator. It was a battery right. inside me. I had this limitless battery to keep me working harder and driving because I just wanted to make up for that lost time. You know, I, I tell people a lot today, I'm like, I had the worst first 16 years of life you could imagine and the greatest every day since. And I wouldn't change anything. And a lot of people I know that were the cool kids or the right. handsome kids, or the athlete school, they're lazy losers now mm. because they had everything handed to them their whole life. So they don't know how to work. You know, they don't yeah. get it. So that's so true, dude. Well, it's all the time, man. I remember I hated being tall. Like I have really bad posture and it's because I would like hunch. I mean, I was, I was, you ever seen Howard Stern private parts? Yeah. That was me. So I was like this tall hunched over nerd, you know, in the corner. Um, you know, um, you know, I was, I'm Jewish and like, you know, at my, this school I went to first, the Indian Creek, I was the only Jewish kid in the whole school. I might as well have had like horns on my head, you know, they didn't, you know, and I'm like hunched in the corner, all tall and awkward. I had acne, I had braces. I, I, I always joke like I had a back brace connected to my head yeah, brace. Like, yeah. so, <laughs> you know, I wasn't confident. And, uh, and I would always tell my dad, I'm like, I hate being tall. I'm such a nerd. And I'm like, I want to just like chop two inches off me because I'm so awkward. I'm like a giraffe. (laughs) My dad was always like, one day you're going to love it. The same as my last name. I hated it because everyone would pick on me. And now I love being tall. I still got to learn how to stand up straight. But yeah, um, yeah. And uh, and then I I love my last name, too. It becomes cool when you're an adult. Yeah, dude. Are you kidding me? But trust me, when you're a kid that's a nerd anyway, they they find a million reasons to pick. Well, I could see. And not only that, like champagne. Like I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, dude, he's lucky. But now hearing the story, you've you've earned your stripes. But it's like, I don't know that version of you. So all I see is this put together wins after wins after wins version of you. But I'm like, dude, what if your name was Champagne and you were just like this loser? That's what I was. So I can tell you exactly what that's like. <laughs> so anyway. You'd have to change your I name am. to like Adam Lightbeer or something. So so I'm in college. Um, I had a great experience. I'll tell you, St. Mary's College is a liberal arts school. It's a, you know, probably a very, a very liberal school. Uh, you know, they, call it a, they call it a hippie school. But it is a great place to be an econ student. The professors love, you know, dissenting thought. We would get and we would we would spar every day in in my there was only one teacher that was a lunatic that I couldn't take the rest of the econ department. And and the thing is, I would party to the fullest at the bar at night, but I'd be the first one in class at 8 a.m. sitting in the front row arguing with the teacher. All my papers were well written because it was easy for me from learning St. James. And uh, I thrived there. So after college. Um, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do. I figured it out that I want to run for office, right? This is my passion. This is what I love. It's easy. I love not, not many, you know, 18, 19 year olds were as passionate about politics. Right. And it really isn't politics. It's, I love the free market. I love kind of the lack of, you know, I, I, I like small government. I like freedom, you know? So I'm not going to ask you right now what you think about what's going on. We'll talk later. We'll talk later. I, spread, I want to spread that, you know, I want to be part of, of bringing this to others and giving others a better life. And, and the, the, the great thing that in the greatest country on the planet that you work hard, you get ahead. There's people don't realize it all over the world. That's not possible. Right. You know, I, I always say, 
if I were born in, you know, uh, Honduras, I would be the first one trying to get into America any way I could. I wouldn't like, cause I know if there's that's out there, I'm going to get there. I'll work harder. I'll get there. I'll go any way I need to get there. So, uh, I don't fault them. You know, I, I fault, uh, our, our country for not doing it the right way. But anyway, so I, uh, I get that passion. I'm going to run for office, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, whatever I'm going to do, be a governor or congressman, senator, whatever. So, uh, after college, I, I knew I wanted to work on Capitol Hill. Okay. I also knew I, I, cause I knew, you know, how, how policy works. So I, I majored in, uh, applied economic policy, which was basically, it was a design your own, you know, focus at St. Mary's. And it was basically, uh, how free market can, um, affect policy and environmental policy specifically. So I wanted to work on the Hill. I wanted to be part of writing laws. I did not want to intern. I didn't want to give tours. I didn't want to send flags and letters out to constituents. I wanted to work on a committee, which is where laws get, get written and get, get done. Uh, you know, people don't realize that these 25 year old staffers that work on communities capital, they're the ones that run our country. I mean, the wow. members just get elected and, and look nice. They, they campaign, they, they learn what they're going to, I was the, the 25 year old sitting behind the member when they're up on the podium during hearings, whispering in their ear, telling them what they think about, you know, what's going on. Cause they, most of them, unless it's a big topic, they don't know. So anyway, so I knew what I wanted to do, right. So I got to figure out how I'm going to achieve that goal. And I went back to the same thing that's always worked for me is, is I, I didn't have some of the other advantages or some of the other ways to get there. The only thing that it really I could rely on was working harder than everyone else. So um, we know what canvassing is. My first experience at canvassing was canvassing Capitol Hill. I wow. would I would work at, at, at the green door still. I did an extra year of college because I was having so much fun. <laughs> Um, and I would work there Friday, Saturday night. And that was enough to make, you know, more money than I could spend back then. It's crazy. The richest I ever felt in my life is <laughs> work you know, a couple work. hundred bucks a week. I had no bills. I lived in this shack next door to it and, uh, had no need for money. Cause I would eat and drink at the green door where they just, you know, had a running tab. Yeah. They do like have eight, food there. It was like $8,000. Oh yeah. We had amazing pizza oven. Um, so, uh, Anyway, so I would drive up to, to Capitol Hill. I'd park in visitor parking and I'd um, I'd go and literally just go in through the, the, the public entrance and I would just walk around the, the, the house buildings, Rayburn and Longworth. And they always have like receptions going on, uh, like the American Truckers Association or the National Foundation, whatever, is holding little events for the for the staffers all over the hill. Okay, right? and I would just kind of sneak into them. Um, my dad got me a blue blazer from TJ Maxx. Oh, nice, dude! TJ Maxx, son. Yeah, I know all about and, that. Uh, and I'd put that blazer on, and I just kind of weasel in. I just start talking to people. And I don't feel um, like how do you could be very inconspicuous. You're like, yeah, but I just, okay. I just start acting like I was supposed to be there. Okay. And I did that every day for six months. That's awesome. So dude. my father was going nuts. Cause he, like I said, he came from a very uh, modest upbringing. He worked hard for everything he had. He was always practical. He was a person, uh, you know, driven by fear of loss. Yes. You know, I don't want to, I never want to have nothing. 
very different for me is I'm, I'm never scared of having nothing because I always felt like I had nothing. I'm, I'm never scared to go back there. But um, so he was going nuts. He's like, you need to get a job. You got to stop bartending. He wanted me to you know join the military or do anything, anything. Something he, with he, a security to take, it. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and it's rare because I listen to my dad for literally everything in my life. Um, and so, but I, I just, I just kept going. And on the uh, almost six months, I finally met the right person at the right reception. Happened to know my uncle. My uncle was a lobbyist, made the right connection. And he got me and I had gotten a bunch of, oh, you're a smart young man. Come by my office tomorrow. I'd come by, I'd meet with them, but they didn't know anybody. They didn't have a job. I'll pass your... So to get a job on the Hill, people want a job so bad there, they work for free. Like a lot of the jobs are unpaid and brilliant people that graduate from Georgetown and Harvard intern for free on the Hill because that's how wow. much it sets you up in your career. There's no place like it. Um, and the starting salaries there are like $17,000 a year. So um, I, uh, I end up getting, uh, the, I just finally got a job, okay, so on a committee. Finally got a job offer an interview and I, um, I got a job. I got offered a job to be a staffer on the house committee on science for pay or yeah, it was, no. but, um, sorry, you're good, brother. Pay or so yeah, pay, pay, no paid job. Um, working as a staffer, um, on the house committee on science. Hell yeah, dude. So, um, I, uh, I start there in the first day and this is kind of where I learned the power of um, making connections quickly and how it kind of gets you. As I was going to say, man, that's a, uh, but yeah. I'm not going to. I've always that. had that where I can, and I figured out young where I could meet somebody and I could find something we have in common in literally seconds. I just, uh, it just. Something you learned. Something that we can relate to. Uh, yeah. I learned how to use it. And I learned the power of, you know, how powerful it is to create quick relationships and friendships and trust with people. Yeah. So the point was my first day on the Hill, I started, you know, making, you know, kind of working my way through this committee and I'm on the house committee on science. And I see that there's a, the, there's an empty desk for the special assistant to the chief of staff. This is a person that, that basically reports directly to the chief of staff is basically his scheduler, his assistant. I said, who sits there? He goes, oh, well, he got promoted to, he's now the communications director. I said, well, who's that job? He said, but they haven't filled it yet. I said, well, can I apply for that? It's my first day on the job. Can you apply for that? Yeah. So I did. The guy's name was, was uh, David Goldstein. And, you know, I use the fact that we're both Jews. Oh, you know, dude, I picked the tribe. up on that right yeah. away. Dude, my, my partners at Pure always, they make fun of me relentless because I'm, I'm half Greek, half Jew, which is a rare mix because Greeks usually are only always all Greek. I was going to say that. But if I'm around, if I'm the right Greek, I'm all Greek. If I'm Jew, I'm, all Jew, I'm whatever you want me to be. <laughs> but, you know, I was that day. I was, Smart I was, man. you know, I might as well have worn a you know yarmulke to work and i i worked my way in there <laughs> come in there so, so, full yeah, garb. Yeah. so i got the job day one to special assistant chief of staff so that is an opportunity that it, it it it's unbelievable i got to you know i was at his hip for everywhere he went i mean if he was meeting with donald rumsfeld or you know he's in meetings with Colin Powell. I mean, the people Dude, that he met awesome. with, I was with him. I was on the floor of Congress with him. I was in every committee hearing with him, and I did that. And I was there for for years. I worked really, really, really hard. He ended up promoting me uh, to to a professional staff 
where I'm actually on a team writing laws. Holy shit. Yeah. That, um, how old are you? So I was 20, you know, one when I got the job there. So I'm like 24, I'm 24 by then writing laws. Yeah. And, um, and it's an amazing place. Um, so I got to the point though, where, you know, I'm making like 30 grand a year and it wasn't really about the money, but I was like, man, there's a lot of waste going on here. There was 80 people on the committee and like 20 of them didn't even work. They were just like friends of the, like the members, kids and stuff. And I was just like, this place is just, I didn't like it. So I want somewhere where I work hard and I see the fruits of my labor and, right. and I make something. So I was like, it's time for me to do something else. So I knew that my next step was to maybe be a lobbyist or, or work for a, a interest group or something, you know, to kind of excel towards running for office and maybe start making money. I was dating, you know, my, my wife at the time and she was a hairdresser and she was making like five times what I was making at a nicer car. And, right. and I was like, I want to make money and, you know, buy her things. So, uh, I, I decided to go to law school because so I just figured I had no desires to be a lawyer, but I was like, you know, that seems to be something that can give me a step up. And a lot of these congressmen are lawyers. So, um, I didn't, um, get in law school was really hard back then. So, you know, I kind of, again, applied to my principal working harder than everyone else. And I decided I'm going to have a leg up. I'm going to get, I'm going to kill the LSATs. Mm -hmm. So, I studied relentlessly. I ended up getting two points shy of a perfect score in the LSAT. Holy shit. Yeah. So that really helped. I got into a bunch of law schools. I ended up getting offered a scholarship from University of Baltimore. Um, they call it Harvard on Charles Street here in Baltimore. Um, I had a lot of friends that went there. Um, so it's it a good school. People that... Lawyers that come out of University of Baltimore are usually lawyers that make money. They're not, you know, law professors or whatever, but they're they do well. So, um, I, I'm I'm I've chosen what law school I'm going to go to. Um, I uh, I also had uh, you know interesting thing, um, interesting story. I also wrote an unbelievable law school essay. And uh, a friend of mine, a guy I went to college with, this guy Ryan Grimm. Okay. He uh, he's been he was one of the smartest people I've ever known. Uh, he was like I was the the free market libertarian. He is a card carrying socialist as well. I mean, he back then he was he would always talk about Bernie Sanders. He loved Bernie Sanders, but we were friends, and he was really really smart, and we had kind of good banter with each other. He also worked on the Hill. And, um, he's now been incredibly successful. He ended up becoming like the editor in chief of Huffington post. And now oh, he's got, wow. now he's the interceptor. He's the, I think he's like the, I don't know what he is, but he's, he's on, you see him all the time. He's on Megan Kelly and on all different shows. Oh wow! Yeah. He's great. So I got in young with him. I knew he was going to be something special. So anyway, he helped me kind of fluff up my essay and take it from being good. It was a great story, kind of my story to being, uh, and I told my story in the context that my father was in a really bad accident when I was in seeing my father is my best friend and, and my whole world was in a, he's a surgeon and he would, he loved being a surgeon yet. And he wasn't in it to make money. He never really understood like the cap, the, the, the business part of it. He was in it cause he loved helping people mm. and he was gifted. He had gifted hands. He could uh, build a motorcycle from scratch. He, he still builds motorcycles. He could build cars. He could do anything with his hands. He's unbelievable mind. My son picked it up from him and skipped me and went to my son, but, um, he had gifted hands, truly gifted hand. What great I've learned, what makes a great surgeon is, is gifted hands. 
I learned that recently, unfortunately, my wife's surgery too. You find the surgeon, but they're not, you don't want the smartest surgeon. You want the best hands. So my dad had both. Um, he was in a terrible accident my senior year and he lost his finger. <sighs> it was amputated right in front of me. In a, and then he's holding his finger in his hand comes to me. It's, you know, he's holding, looking at me. He goes, my career is over. This is such a weird thing to say to your son as you're holding your severed hand in your finger and your hand, your severed finger in your hand. Uh, he was, I called 911. He was medevaced. They reattached his finger, but he got in a very rare nerve disease called reflex sympathetic dystrophy from that, that spreads the damage of the amputation through your whole body. So he was, he's never since 1997, he's never practiced, um, medicine again. He ended up having a thriving second career. But, um, so I told this story in the context of that and then, um, why, why I want to be a lawyer, but Ryan helped me. He was so good. What he did to fluff up this essay was so good. <laughs> and then my mom, you know, who's a, a an English professor, um, she's living out in LA at the time. I also had got a little bit of help from her on it. So I, I heard so much about this essay back. I had the, the, the Dean of Hofstra law school called me personally, told me it's the best essay she ever read. I can't take full credit for right, it because right. I had a lot of help on it, but so anyway, I get into law school. I I'd accrued because I, I worked harder than everyone else on the Hill. I'd accrued a million years of, of paid leave while I was on the Hill because they, they have incredible benefits. So I had like, I don't know, 10 weeks of paid leave. Oh, wow. So I leave. Um, 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 uh, you know, I got some free time before I'm going to start school. I'm getting ready. I'm getting my books. I'm going to orientation. I'm getting ready to start being, uh, go to law school. And I don't need to work because I had this paid time. And my dad said, you know, my dad always too, my whole life, I worked at McDonald's when I was 14. I was the first person in line. And actually, even really before cross country, that was the first time I found hard work and satisfaction because I actually like kind of excelled at McDonald's when I worked there. I worked at the one in Cape. It's one of the busiest McDonald's. I got promoted. I moved to the McDonald's in Arnold. And like, I was like, that was kind of my first two. Like, if you work hard, you get ahead. Right. And, and I, it was addictive. So then I worked at Subway. I worked at Boston Chicken. I worked at Blockbuster. I always had, even in college, I had like five jobs. Because again, I liked that satisfaction. So this was the first time without a job in my life. My dad said, I'm going to give you 500 bucks a week to live on while you're in law school. My father never gave me money ever wow. my whole life. He always wanted me to understand the value. My, my dad always said my whole life, you're going to learn the best thing I can do is say no to you. You will thank me one day for all the things I say no to you about. And he is so right. And I try and instill that. I'm, I try and give that to my kids. I tell my, some of my friends that are really successful uh, that talk about leaving money and, and their, their legacy. I'm like, I'm leaving my kids nothing. I will spend every penny having fun with my family until the day I die, because I will never deprive my kids of the satisfaction of having nothing and earning it mm. because it's the greatest thing in life. I had, yeah. no, I never I had nothing. And I you know, never had a girlfriend. I got my wife, you know, I never, I never had any money. And now I've, you know, had these great success. I don't want to take that feeling away from. That's such a great way to look at things, man. Yeah. I mean, even for myself, I mean, so you've got uh, no plans. I mean, I'm sure you've got like life insurance and stuff like that, but you're not like, Oh, I'm building this. I could care less generational wealth. For I, my I, I told kids. somebody today, I was like, look, I, I love, I act, I wake up every day as if I have nothing. It's, it just motivates the hell out of me. 
I want to just, I just, I love the pursuit and the journey. I don't the, the result yeah. and the money is just more to have fun. I never worry about anything. I, I, I've just been one of those. I'm a little reckless, but it gets me, you know, it's, it's paid off more than it's hurt. So anyway, um, I, uh, I, I, it's my first time without a job. Okay. And, and it, and I thought it was going to be cool, right? My dad had never given me money. My dad, when I worked at McDonald's, my dad took every single paycheck I ever earned. I swear to you, I'm 14 years old, 15 years old in college. My father made me send my paychecks home to him, which is why I had two jobs. I would work at the, the bar. I also delivered pizzas. I also worked at the liquor store because I had to have a check to send home to him. And I'd hide the cash from him from the bar. Cause he, he made, he said, you, you will not spend your money. I will give you an allowance and you need to learn how to, and you need to contribute to your education, to your gas, to your car, whatever. Turns out my father invested all that money for oh, me wow. in, in, in an IRA, never told me. So I, he handed me this huge portfolio when I grabbed that I had built myself and he'd also put some more in there. I mean, it's unbelievable. What an awesome day. Yeah. So my first time without a job. And I'm going crazy. I'm going nuts. So I call my dad and I'm like, dad, can I, I need to get a job. And he's like, I want you to concentrate on law school. I do not want you to get a job. I call him and I'm like, dad, please let me get a job. And he said, uh, all right, you may get a part-time job. It must be at night because your class schedule during the day cannot be disturbed. And um, I need to approve, you know, the job. Where you're going to work. Yeah. So I, I went on monster.com. And I tarped in, I remember it like it's yesterday, part-time work or part-time job. And the first ad that popped up said, part-time work, full-time pay. You'll see, we repost those ads since, but part-time work, full-time pay. And it was Home Fix in Glen Burnie to to sell windows. So I called my dad. I'm like, here's the job. I found this. This is the first one that popped up, right? Right, right, right. And I, I applied and got an interview. Little do I know, you know, how, how aggressive that we recruit, yeah. you know? Oh, hell but, yeah. yeah. But I was like, oh my God, I got an interview. Like I've been chosen. So, and uh, I called my dad and my dad uh, was like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't like the sounds of it, but he just sounds a little pyramid schemey or whatever. He goes, if, if it's anything on commission, <laughs> 1099, anything like that. I want you to walk right out of the interview. Well, all right. I don't know what commission is or 1099 right. or what you're talking about, but sure, dad. Okay. So it was an empire towers in Glen Burnie. I don't know if you've ever been to empire towers or seen it. It's like the biggest building in Glen Burnie. It's like the only skyscraper in Glen Burnie. You know, it's not sky. It's like eight stories. I thought it was the coolest looking building. You know, it's an office building and you know, everyone's in suits back then when oh, you walk yeah. in. And uh, so I walk in John Morse, who you know, Right, John at, yeah. at Insulso, he's there. Tony at Pure is there. Um, uh, Rocky, who, uh, who you know, Rocky, who later was um, with Drew at, at oh, Phoenix. Yeah, wow. Rocky's their top sales rep. Um, Fingles, Pat's name is up on the wall. Tomber's name, like they're, they're, that's all the top reps. So I walk in and I'm interviewing with Tope, who's the founder of the company, him and George. And, you know, Tope's a sharp, really smart. He's an unbelievable guy. And I immediately knew, could identify this guy's really, really smart. And it's got something really special going on. Um, and he saw something in me too, you know, later learn. Um, in fact, I learned later, he, when I left his office, he called his partner then George and said, I found our next, you know, manager. I found the guy I, I landed him today. Yeah. Well, I was in there for a part-time job for law school. So 
Um, I remember I was wearing this hideous suit that didn't fit me. I didn't learn how to dress. You know, I, I did no idea that, that like the way you dress mattered yet. I learned that later. But um, so anyway, I, I interview with him and, and he, um, he, he starts going through the job and he explains what selling windows in the home is and, and you know, how in-home sales works. And he talks about um, Rocky back then, who's 18 years old, and he pulls out Rocky's check stubs and Rocky's making $2,000 a week. Now, $2,000 a week. Right? So back then, the person I knew that made the most money, my friends, my buddy, Josh, you know, owned a bar in DC. Okay. My roommate worked at that bar as the GM because he just hired all his friends. He didn't know any better. When you're 21 and own a bar, you hire your friends. He made $56,000 a year. I thought he's the richest person right. I knew. I thought, I'm like, I'm going to buy a Lamborghini if I ever make $56,000 a year. So he's showing me checks for $2,000 a week. That might as well have been $2 million a week. Right, like right. The money wasn't even real. <laughs> and, uh, and then he goes, and we start you at a draw of $500 a week. And I'm like, you know, I was like uh, Kramer in Seinfeld. Where he's like, so, you know, yeah, I yeah. jump out of the table like $500 a week and I work at night. Because back then there was really no day leads. You just ran night leads. I jumped over the desk. I'm so excited. I, 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 I'm like, this really, I have the job. I ran out. I called my dad. I lied. I'm like, dad, I got a job. It's $24,000 salary. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but but you, uh, you only work at night. So um, the next day I come in for training with John Morse, who's now my part, you know, one of our, my, my partner at install services. And he teaches me, you know, the, the sales process, probably the same as because there's a million spinoff companies of that, like dream home, pinnacle, uh, Atlantic, uh, I could go on for, you know, right. new look and all of them are, 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 teach, are, you know, doing the same system. So yeah. the same system we all know, I learned that and where I really, where it really clicked to me was that night they sent me out to shadow Rocky. So I go out with him. He's the top guy. I'm going to go see what the top guy does. Oh, yeah. And I watched Did you it. choose to do that? Uh, no. No, they just sent me with Rocky. So they, I went with Rocky, but it, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So I go out with him and I sit there. And I may, he told me back then, he looked at me. He's like, who's this goofy you know, dude you know, in his TJ Maxx suit? So I shadow and I, and I watched it. I was like, it just, it was like watching the matrix. Like it, it made, it was so, it made so much sense. I was like, wow, this is the job. I am, if this kid who, you know, from lands down that can't, you know, form a sentence, if he is the top guy and I love Rocky's like my son to this day, I was, I was on the phone with him on the way here. I love him. Um, but if this guy is the top guy, I am going to be the Elon Musk of this industry. Like right. this is just too easy. And then I, I begged for shadows and I, I still try and tell people this day. There's nothing, there's no better training than just watching other people do it. I didn't care who I was following. Send me on the worst, the best. I want to shadow everyone and pick apart what they do and what not to do. So out of the gates, I ran my first lead. My first lead, I remember I was so nervous. I pitched in 14 minutes and, and pitch missed. The second lead I went on, I was like, work harder than everyone else. All right. So I had memorized the script. Perfect. I studied like there was no tomorrow. I memorized the training. Perfect. I was so mad that I didn't execute out of nerves better. So I got to train even more. I stayed up all night studying, but I also said, you know what it, people buy because people like you people mm -hmm. buy because relationships. My, my second lead, I was in the house for eight hours. Yeah. It was on Marlboro lane in Edgewater. Yep. 
um, you know, off down Mayo Road on the right. I remember it. I drive by there all the time to look at the first hustle. I'm in there for eight hours and I closed it for, you know, I don't know, $50,000, whatever it is. They sold them everything in the house. I'd only been trained on siding and I, yet I sold them everything they have. Wow. So, because back then they were trading siding first because no one wanted siding leads. Then all of a sudden everyone wanted them. I, I, started, I started selling them all. Rocky would say, man, I don't get no siding leads no more now to add them here. But uh, I, I, I sold. So anyway, I did it. And then so that month I ran 29 leads and I sold 28. I wow. only missed the first one. And I was in the house for six hours every time. And it was just going back. The thing is, I will work harder than everybody else. I will run every lead. I don't care how far it is. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what the house value is. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what time it is. I don't care what else I do. I will run everything and I will give these people my life. I will not stop until I make a best friend. I will go to all the installs and I would, I would canvas the installs and I just thrive. And I ended up making $35,000 my first month at home fixing commissions. I made 32,000 the previous year on Capitol Hill. Right. I had money. I could buy Courtney things and boy, did I, I would buy her. I would just, I spent, as soon as I get it, I'd spend it all. I'd take Courtney out and just buy her. I was so excited. You felt money. so great. Yeah, I'd take sure, my though. friends out. I'd pay for everything. I'm still paying for those friends <laughs> to this day. Um, probably set, gave them bad expectation. One of them, uh, a lot of those people are still, you know, still work. There's a tribute to the companies, how long people have been there. So after six months, this continued where I closed eight out of 10 for six straight months. And I'm not the greatest sales rep. I'm not, you know, I, I didn't memorize. I, I didn't, I was not like I was this, you know, shark. I just worked really, really hard and developed meaningful relationships with yeah. every customer I run. I remember them this day. I still, I kind of manifested where I'd be. Right. And, um, at the end of that six months where our office in Jersey was failing, both offices where we had two and we had been through like eight managers and they always kept saying, um, it's the, it's the market. It, it, Jersey's impossible. The people are too mean. The prices are, there's too much competition. There's the subs are, are too expensive. You know, the, 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 whatever the reason it's impossible. Nobody can do what we do in Jersey. It's too saturated. The market, whatever the reason. So, so they, they had never had a rep before close 80%. And one of the tributes to like John and, and, and Tope is they never made me really feel that special. I still had to work harder. Like I, they, they didn't, I got no exceptions. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they have those reps nowadays that are good and you treat them like gold and they get to pick, they pick their leads and all that. Right. I was treated like I want, I was the lowest man on the totem pole. You know, I, I was, so, um, I just did what I was told. And uh, he said, they came to me and said, we need you to go up to Jersey and we need you to run leads for a month in a hotel um, and live in a hotel. I'm like, oh, yes, sir. Just do what I'm told. Right. And I, why? Well, because we have had four different managers, five different managers per office. Every one of them say it's the market. We think it's the management and the people. The only proof that we're going to be able to prove it is we have somebody that closes 80% for six months. If he goes up there and can't sell, then it's the market. We're shutting the offices down. If you can sell, it's the people. Well, they could have saved the hotel bill because we all know it's always the people. Right. Everything we do in life. I always say I cannot. I think I might have said this to you the other day is I said it to somebody. Um, I, I can teach you what I have. I can teach you. What, what, what we offer, I can teach you. But what you got 
can't be taught. Meaning you find people, what you have, your natural abilities to make you, you and make me, me and make people special. I can't teach that. If you want a great sales rep or great something, you find a great sales rep is a natural at developing relationships and being likable and knowing, having a good, you know, social IQ and understanding people, you find them. And then you can teach them what I, what I have. I'll teach them the script. I'll teach them about windows, but whatever you hand them, they're going to be great at. So it's the people and whether it's your, your operations person or your marketing person, whatever they, you find the right person for the right job. A really a great leader is a cheerleader and a recruiter, right? Nick Saban is a great leader because he knows how to recruit the right people. Mm-hmm. He's not, doesn't need to be the best football player. He doesn't even need to be the best coach. He just needs to find the right people. Which he's so, damn good at. So it was, it, I went up there and, and, and Jersey is the worst place on the planet, <laughs> but I sold eight out of 10. I just sold it differently. So um, at the end, they, they met with uh, the, the, Tope and, and George met with me uh, halfway. They had me drive down to Delaware and we met in between and they sat me down. They said, we want you to be the future of home fix. We want you to take over New Jersey and, and be man. I, I said, guys, sorry, I'm flattered. It's a hard no. There is a 0% chance I'm going to sell windows for the rest of my life. I'm going to be the governor of Maryland. Like this is not, I'm, I'm going to finish law school. I'm going to, you know, this is a part-time job to get me through school. I'm appreciative appreciative for all the money I'm making for everything I'm doing, but that is not happening. So I, I, they gave me an offer. Right. So I went home, I talked to my dad about it and it's funny. So I listen to say my dad a lot. I, everything I do in life, I, I listen to my father and right. it works. Uh, my, my wife and I always laugh. If we're going to do anything, like we're going to buy a car, do whatever, anything, the littlest thing. Um, we asked my dad first and, uh, and I'll be like, Hey honey, do you want to do this? Well, did you ask your father? I'm like, honey, I, you know, I'm CEO of a company. I have four companies. I make decisions. I can make decisions without my dad, but yes, I asked him. He said, it's okay. (laughs) So, uh, I, I, my dad actually said, you know, this is a really good opportunity. And this is for the person that wouldn't even have let me take the job, you know, because I had to lie to him. I had to lie to him and say it was a salary job to get it, even though it was straight commission. Uh, he talked, he told me to do it. So I deferred law school. I moved, I got a one room apartment right next to the office, overlooking Manhattan in Newark, New Jersey. Um, and, and I, I would, would go up there Monday through Friday. Well, the same things that made me successful in sales, made me successful in management. I work harder than everybody else. First step. So I show up there. I ran the leads with the sales reps, sold them and gave them the deals. I went out with the canvassers. Every time I followed in the lead, I was canvassing with the canvassers, knocking on doors with them, not just to show up, but knocking on doors with them, getting leads, giving them out. I'd sit in the call center and make calls and work with them. I'd go out with the crews on the install of the jobs. I would go to, if there's a problem job and a customer wasn't happy, I'm at their house. There was a cancellation. I'm there. If they had a problem, I was on the, you know, I was, I was the first person to be on it because I also said, if I'm going to be in this. I'm never, ever, ever not going to be able to put my name on it. And that's right. why I, you know, to, to this day, Carrie, that I will never have an unhappy customer ever. You know, my cell phone number is on the website. I first did that because um, I got, I kept getting calls for saying, I'm calling your service center. Nobody will call me back. I was like, well, this isn't happening anymore. And that's why I put myself to this day. My cell phone number is on hundreds of thousands. I saw customers. that. So anyway. Is it still that? Oh yeah. That's It'll crazy. never leave. And you know what? A tribute to how good of a team I have in place now. I don't get many calls. Wow. 
So anyway, so I, I work my butt off. New Jersey goes from the worst office in the company to number one the first month. It took <laughs> no time. Um, so, and that continued. There was seven offices back then. They each had their own manager. They were kind of pitted against each other like little companies. It was very competitive. John Morse had an office. These other people had an office. A lot of them have spun off and started companies since. Companies you know. And my office started growing and growing and growing. Back then, it was like an $8 million company and there was like $7 million offices. Well, I got to the point where I'm doing $5 million, $6 million, $7 million, right. And I did everything. I mean, I set the, and I didn't want anybody to touch anything. I set the leads. I confirmed the leads. I, you know, did the payroll. I trained the reps. I trained the canvassers. I trained the telemark. I did everything. I ended up taking over the Virginia office, doing the same. I grew that. So long to flash forward, I ended up taking the Virginia office to $10 million. Hmm. Okay. The next best is like 3 million in, in Baltimore. And, um, you know, and, and, and at the same time, Tope was buying out his partner and he had the idea, the brilliant idea to get into solar. So he, um, he said, I'm going to start it. He was going to start a solar company with, with a friend of his who was, uh, had a really successful electric company and, um, and he decided to get into solar. So I saw that as an opportunity for me and we sat down and I said, look, let me, let me take over this you know, home fix. <laughs> Let me consolidate. What we have these little offices, little things. One leadership, one team. We'll take the best of the best. John Morris, he's your best trainer. That's what he should be. Will Sullivan, he's he's your best at, at running the canvas call center. He should do it for the whole company. Keith, he's a, he's my guy. He's my, my the one I was talking to about from college. I used to pay for everything for. He's your best canvas manager. He's a he's like the Pied Piper of people. He will hire the canvassers. We'll flash forward now and and. And Nick, he's your best sales rep. He was he was the number one actually right before. So that year was Rocky and him were the top, and then I overtook them. But uh, you know he's the guy to run the sales. So we can we took our best and we built this team, and we all just I mean we're all young and hungry and just working hard, and we just exploded. Wow. So the first year we're ten million, we go to fifteen, then we go to twenty five, then we and we do it just us. Like we didn't we didn't have. We got to $50 million without an HR department, without an IT department. We didn't even have a controller or a CFO. We had a bookkeeper. Yeah. I mean, it was bananas. Okay. But we just <laughs> kept selling. You know, we had 300 canvassers. That gives me so much anxiety. We had 300 canvassers without a, without a payroll department. With it, we didn't even have a payroll company. Okay. But we just, why stop? So in 2015, 16, we start coming up with some expansion plans too. We, we open the, the Tidewater market. Me and Keith are down there in an extended stay, like a $40 a night cracked in hotel. Nice. Running the office. We're there every day. That office goes to 10 million the first year in Newport News. Oh, okay. So that's the point where we kind of broke this threshold and we're becoming this big company, but we have no infrastructure. And that's when we had to start. And that's when I, when I hired my, my best friend, ended up hiring my... Blake, my best friend, is a CFO, and we start building infrastructure, HR department, IT, accounting, finance, all these things. Now, um, it's hard. I mean, we learned a lot of hard lessons. What got you there, what got you to one place doesn't get right. you to the next level. And man, I, that's why, you know, I love 
mentoring you and a lot, there's a lot of others. Mina's another one that, you know, I mentor a lot. Um, I love, there's two reasons I love paying it forward. I like relationships and honestly practice. Like when you tell people things, it's reinforcement to yourself. Right. You're giving yourself your own, le- you're reminding mm-hmm. yourself of your own lessons. So I learned a lot in those periods. I also started to get that kind of ADD. I need more bug. And that's when uh, I went to Tope and said, Hey, you know, we've done a lot here. This amazing your solar energy world that you founded is unbelievable. Um, Mid-South is our biggest, you know, installer. Mid-South was a, was a, was a really unique place. And it is the spawn. You think home fix spawning ground Mid-South spawned all this. Uh, there's an unbelievable picture of Tope on his first sales force. He's 21 years old and it's him. It's the founder of Ameritech. It's the founder of Capital. It's the founder of um, Improve, it three, Improve It 360 software and Improvement Home Improvement. It's a, you name it is in this picture. Like there might be $5 billion in home improvements in this picture of companies wow. that all worked at University of Maryland and they all got the, it's all because of Harry Katz and Norman Rails at Mid-South they would, they would back these kids and be like, go start a company. I'll install for you. And, and they kind of spawn these companies. Wow. They, they, they saw I that. Had no and, idea. And that. Yeah. That was tope. Norman rails is, is the rails family is the wealthiest family in, in Washington. Um, they're billionaires. That owned mid South. Yep. That owned mid South, founded mid South and, and Harry Katz, uh, was his partner and up buying Learning something over here. Kid. Yeah. There is, I could, uh, there, there's probably 10 more. Oh, uh, American home contractor, Steve Lazinski. Um, I, I could go on. There, there right. might be 20 companies. The who's who yeah. of founding. They all came from, from this, this, you know, hotbed, this uh, training ground of, of young entrepreneurs. And they saw it. They were smart to back these kids because these kids had no credit or money or anything. They, they knew how to knock on doors. They knew how to sell leads. So, um, so anyway, Mid-South now at this point is 20 something years old. No, uh, Harry Katz has retired. He sold it to this guy, John Briggs and Tim Flynn. John Briggs just retired. Then SRS came and bought the kind of roofing portion of Mid-South and they kind of moved over in the parking lot. Oh, long fence. My man, my very, very, very close friend. Another great mentor to John DePaulo. They were installing power. So yeah. power was, was all Mid-South. There is no, uh, there is no power without Mid-South. They'll I did not you, know that. They'll, to this day, um, I mean, Adam, who founded Power and Tope, used to meet with Harry Katz once a year at Mid-South to do like a meeting of the minds. Wow. And in fact, it was one of the motivators because I was, I was getting, because Tope, probably looking back, Maybe you might want to change it. He wanted to have a very well, Tope is like my father. He's just smart, conservative, risk averse, uh, you know, takes risks when he knows he can win. One of the best negotiators I've ever seen in my entire life. There's nobody like him. We are, we are complete opposites, which yeah. is why we complement each other. Right. He's just like my wife and I'm just like his. He always says to me, you know, I like you champagne. You know, he's like, you know, champagne, you're just like my wife. It's like, it's probably why I like you. But <laughs> um, so we're complete opposites. So anyway. He's, he wants to run a profitable, smart business. I, I just want to grow, right? I just want to do right. it. I don't even care about the money or the profits. Right. Hey, who cares? I just want to have the biggest, the best, the baddest. And um, so um, anyway, so there's, so Mid-South is, um, 
has, has kind of aged out, right? And power left Mid-South. Oof. Oh, and what I was saying about power, that was one of my motivators too, is I'm watching how aggressive they are. And they had those two guys, they had um, uh, Corey and Asher, and they reminded me of myself, right? They were, it was like me and Nick and Keith, right? They were these young guys that were just, nothing could stop them. I was really impressed. I just loved what they were doing. And we were the same size the year before. We were both like 15 million. So, you know, why not us? So anyway, I, um, I'm like, you know, let us grow, let us grow. Um, so power's lost. Um, they've lost long, long is not installing. They've lost, they've lost power at Mid-South. They still had capital. They still had us. They still had others. And, um, I was looking at how much money we were paying Mid-South, especially we had this lifetime warranty and we're paying Mid-South to do the warranty, right? It's like 40,000 a month in warranty calls because some windows were failing back then a lot. And I was like, man, we could do this. And I'm, and this was an opportunity too. Like I was ready to not be a CEO, but be an owner at this point. So I wanted to own my own business. Um, I had actually opened that gym that I told you about. So I owned a, a gym, a, a martial arts gym, an MMA boxing gym. But that was more of like a passion. That play. was a passion play, but I just wanted to own something so bad. Right. Uh, but anyway, so I wanted to own this business. So I, I said, Tope, let's, let's buy this thing and, and let's turn it into something. So I, he, I talked him into it. We, we bought Mid-South. We had 18 employees when we bought them. There was 21 employees. We kept 18. All 18, pretty much most of the 18 are still there. And now we have 100 plus employees in the company. So we've grown it. Uh, Mid-South, we rebranded installation services. And it's grown from a $20 million company to a $40, $45, $50 million company with over 100 employees that's thriving. Um, also learned a lot of lessons. But one of the cool things was that what I loved about it, what I found was I get to make these relationships with the other contractors, people like you. Yeah. I loved. And I, and that's where I met, you know, Adam Shake from, from MLM and John, I, those guys who, you know, John, I loved it. Yeah. It was so funny. I remember one time they wanted to pitch me on their like new pitch that they'd come up with. And they did a video meeting with me, John and Adam. And it was literally the exact pitch we've been trading for. Like, uh, everyone thinks that they, they got the own fit, you know, because they all came from the same place. And he was at New Look too right. with my man, Pat. And uh, so I, um, anyway, I, I got, I, I, uh, I got to, I, I, I love it. Cause I, when, when Tope, when we bought Mid-South, he said, I'll do it and I'll do the commercial side. I get it. You want to do commercial? I'll do commercial. I knew nothing about commercial, but it just sounded cool. And, uh, and I figured I had a buddy, a good friend of mine, Steven owned Cove properties, which they own a lot like Bay Ridge apartments always. Oh, wow. He needed a roof done. And he said, Oh, you're in the roofing. You're on a roof. You can, you do a roof on apartment building. I've never done one before. I'm like, of course I can. Yeah. <laughs> and I just was closing on mid South. So that was like our first commercial job. It's a, I, I always say he's like the reason I have a commercial company. Um, so, and then I had another buddy, my buddy, Matt Nader, who's kind of like, like us, he's a worker, he's a grinder. And, uh, he's one of the, he's the, I always say he's the only, I, I'm the hardest working person I know. Cause if I know somebody that works harder, I'll just work harder than them. <laughs> he's the only one that comes kind of close, still not there, but he's close. Um, but he is a master of networking referrals and he started sending me referral business there to the point I could have built a whole company and other people he was handing me. Wow. So that part of the business grows, the, the construction and the side comes from those referrals Tope said, I do not want to install for other contractors. I don't want to do it. 
And I said, sure. And then of course we started installing for the contractors. (laughs) So, but I loved it. I loved developing the relationship with the owners, helping them make a better business, helping them execute on their pain points, which is labor and cost and acquisition, let them focus on sales and marketing. So we ended up installing. It's when I became really, really close friends with Aaron and Harley from Window Nation. Aaron has become like one of my best friends. Um, my buddy, Chris, who, who worked for me and founded um, uh, Care Contracting, which is an incredibly successful company. I always say I'm, I'm proud of all the companies that are people that work for me that have gone out and started these successful, you know, Rocky and Drew, I know their company didn't work out great, but they had a successful company for a long time. Um, uh, MLM, I, I, they didn't come from me, but they came from new look, which came from me. And those guys were incredibly successful. So I got to install for these guys. I got to be part of it. Um, even though I was, you know, a competitor, but because people trust me as they should, you know, they let me install for them. Um, it would have, it, it did get hard because we had that windstorm in 18 right? and it just became, it, it was so hard. You could, it was, you couldn't keep up. And then I stupidly took on window nation, which I, God, I wish I could say no. Cause we were friends first and they were like, Oh, we need to, we need to install make sure first day they sent me 1900 contracts right. in Pittsburgh. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> so that, that was a tough one. But anyway, so that business came from there. But at the same time I said, all right, well, we're doing the install and the supply. Why not financing? So I said, I'm going to start a finance company. <laughs> so, um, green back then we financed with green sky, which and, is huge. And I went to our finance manager, Tony who's now my partner at pure. And I said, um, who's, who's our guy at green sky. He's like, Oh, it's this guy, Jesse. I'm like, well, do they ever do anything for us? Like whatever. He's like, yeah, well we get this rebate or something. I'm like, I'm like, I want to meet him. Tell him I want to meet him. And cause normally we had a finance manager handle. Right. So, so they called it like, yeah, Adam, the, the CEO, we, you know, and I, by then I'd spoken at a few conferences and people kind of, you know, people know each other, whatever. I was going to say, yeah, you, so, you haven't talked about, yeah. but you will yeah. for sure. But like, you've done a lot of public speaking and stuff like that. Yeah. And I like it. So he was like, of course we want to meet with him. We'll fly him down to Atlanta and he'd go with David. David had just been on the cover of Forbes magazine. Um, From Green Sky? Yeah. Wow. He was on the cover of Forbes, you know, the $8 billion man that grew this Green Sky from nothing. He said- $8 uh, billion. Yeah. And he said, I'll, uh, we're going to fly you down. You're going to go to his private club, have dinner with him, blah, blah, blah. And he thinks I'm just coming there as a customer. Right. Right. As home fix, one of his, you know, we, we financed 20 something million dollars or something. We're, we're a big customer. So I go down, I go to his club. We're talking for, you know, we're developing a rapport relationship, hearing his story, which is amazing. Um, and I said, all right, I don't, I don't, don't worry. I want to start a finance company. How do I be you? <laughs> and we start talking and he respected it and he lifts the kimono a little, tells me about green sky and how I do it. And I was like, well, I don't really have any of that. I just have me right now. Right. I was like, let me just resell green sky. So basically he gave me a correspondent relation, lender relationship and like a white label app that says pure finance instead of green, green sky. sky and let me go out in the streets and start selling financing. So that's where it started. Um, and you know, we, Tope and I, um, put, you know, money in the bank to form the company it formed and I formed all the LLC and, uh, we, we rented a teeny little office next to our office in Baltimore. Um, and we, the first person was Tony that we approached to bring in and gave him, uh, an equity 
portion and, and brought him in. And then uh, Atlantic, fi- you remember Atlantic Finance from back when we were? Yes. Uh, so Atlantic was going out of business. I was about to say, that was So I was like, let's go buy Atlantic. So we went and met with Atlantic. We didn't end up buying it. We spent a lot of time with them, but we hired their people because right. they were winding down. And uh, that was like our first employee. And um, and she was amazing. Like she gave us that, you know, that know-how from being in Atlantic. And so it was, it was just us in a little room. And we went and landed some of our first contractors and they were just my friends. So I, I just talked to my friends, be like, you do financing, let me finance. Right. And um, some of them weren't on Green Sky yet, or, you know, I could give them a, a point or two less with mm-hmm. the deal I had. Um, and then what was great was my next kind of mentor and, and person was Mark, who owns service, kind of got wind of how much business I was. Oh, I was given to Green Sky. I wasn't sending service any business anymore. Right. So they reached out and they said they want to meet. And I was like, sure. So he flew in on his on his jet. Okay. Uh, he ended up taking me on that jet on this crazy trip with Aaron and, and Harley from window nation and some other guys where they, they flew us up to Nova Scotia and they flew us around in helicopters and it was just insane. And, and he's one of the most, Mark is one of the most remarkable people here. He's, 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 he's brilliant nuts. Like I am, right. uh, unbelievably hardworking and driven no matter billions of dollars. That guy will work his ass off. He never stops working. Um, and I'm drawn to people like that because right. I'm the same way. You know, we're both at 3.30 in the morning. I'm on the, you know, Peloton texting and he will text back. So anyway, um, he's like, oh, whatever Green Sky's doing, I'll just do it better. Like, I, I just, you know, Chuck is his right hand man. He's like, just get it done. Just give them whatever they need. So then we really kind of really got to take off because we got some really good programs, really good plans. I could really sell. And that kind of let us build a book to where now we're, you know, we were able to start getting our own money and our own funds and our own capital sources. And now Pure Finance has, you know, 300 contractors and is, it's a big player. I mean, we're almost as big as uh, Foundation Finance. So you, you all know my man Bernard over there, everybody knows. Yep. So we are, you know, now one of the top five to 10 finance companies on the planet. We're probably the largest of the still privately held finance companies. Um, Still kept that thing that I love, which is helping contractors do their business better. I ran it the way that just like I ran insulated services. One of the things with, with B2B is a lot of time B2B that they're lazy. They don't communicate. They don't have that hustle and that urgency that we have because we're one day closers in the home home. We answer homeowners. They're late. They get back to you. They don't answer emails. They don't answer phone. Like, I ran this thing like exactly how I would want, like I ran a, you know, a one day closing home improvement company. And what would the contractor want, which is facilitate me to get, let me go get sales. Don't act like you're doing me a favor. Right. Act like you be a, you know, <clears throat> be lucky to get the business that I fight, bleed and die for every right. day and hand you. And then you better make it better. So, um, you know, I, uh, Again, my success is coming from hard work and then surrounding myself with the right people and convincing smart, uh, smart people to work for me. So uh, another, you know, kind of thing that took us that next level was I was able to um, go to one of my buddies from college who was one of the smartest dudes I know. 
Another one is kind of very conservative, very risk adverse. It saved every penny. He probably has a pile of gold in his basement. Um, <laughs> uh, worked at Wells Fargo, had a, a very distinguished career reporting the president of Wells Fargo. So he knew banking. Like to me, it's just, I don't even know the difference. Finance, I, you know, finance company, Wells Fargo, it might as well be the same thing. Right. So I, I go to lunch with him. I'm like, will you come be the CEO of my finance company? And it was the best decision I've ever made. I mean, the guy, the company is so well run. Him and Tony are, are, you know, it is every company since gets better, right? Solar is better than home fix. Uh, Insulation service is better than home fix. Solar is better than both. And then pure is probably, you know, our most uh, well, as far as well-run company, home fix is still the foundation, still the bloodline and the the drive that keeps, uh, that keeps the blood pumping really for everything. But um, these guys, I, I am absent to their, uh, I have zero operational involvement in, at this point in pure finance, wow. um, because they don't, they barely let me in the door. I don't, they don't even have like an access fob to get in. Uh, cause it's, it is so, they don't want me meddling with it because I'll try and I'll go nuts. Right. I'll want to grow it to a billion dollars overnight. It's the same way with installation services. I was able to go out and recruit an unbelievable operator come in there and run that place. And, uh, he is, he's just a brilliant guy, better operator than I could ever imagine to be. Um, I always want to surround myself with people that are better and smarter than me. Um, so Would you say that's a theme for like some of the most successful. Uh, well, yeah, it's not just, it's not anyone can do that, but you know, Tope says this thing thing. The only thing that gets away with success is e- is, is greed and ego. That is it. So it's one thing to want to surround yourself with good people, but if you act like you're better than them or you don't appreciate them or you don't pay them, you're not going to be successful. Right. Right. So not only can I surround myself with bidding, but I can also, Say, all right, you're better than this than I am. Right. So you go with this. I'm here to help. I'm your cheerleader and make sure that they are paid and compensated well in their successes. Um, make sure that you support them. You don't undermine them. And, and, and again, be, stay humble, right? Just, you know, Tope and I have never argued about money ever. Like I've never, when I was a sales rep, a manager, anything I did, I've never asked him, what's my pay plan? Whatever he put in front of me, I'm like, all right, whatever that is, I'll just work incredibly hard and I'll make money when I, when I deserve it ever. And it's hard. You know, I live, I've so many people can't get out of their own way. There's so many people that fight with me over every, you know, they'll come over every, I'm underpaid, I'm overworked, I'm this, I'm that and the other. I'm like, just work, man. Just, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you spend so much time worrying about what people owe you instead of going out and getting it. Um, especially on commission base, everyone, hopefully everyone knows if their, if their ego and pride is, is in check enough to surround themselves with smarter and better people. Um, but the harder thing is then to actually appreciate them and realize that, you know, this business is so easy to make money in. And so such a low barrier to entry, anybody can do it. So people start to think they're curing cancer when they become successful right. and, and then they become the focus point and those, the companies never make it. Especially the insurance side. Yeah. I mean, it's just overwhelmed because it, to your point, it's so easy. Anybody can walk and say, Hey, would you like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so heavily saturated, but it's also why to your point, I don't see them scaling and, and well, MLM's big. Well, yeah, real no, big. And why you spent time with John, exactly. he's the humblest guy, right? They're, 
they're the exception, yeah. and that's yeah. why they are who or they are. Or Smart Roof, you know, Smart Roof, huge. I don't know them, but I know of them, but yeah. I don't know them personally. But guys you're right. Sharp. Yeah. They're not the guys that I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's why they're not they're driving there. fancy cars. They're not wearing fancy watches. They're, they just go to work. I think John might have an okay car now, but point being is to your right. He's not, that's exactly what I was getting at. You got those guys that have these companies that are like literally a year in buying Bentleys and Lamborghinis and like, yeah. And it's just, it's insanity. And they think people are going to want to come work for him. Right. There's a guy that we both know and I'm not going to name him personally, but he wasn't even, he was. The funny thing is he knows it too. He knows it. He's actually (laughs) a really smart guy. He's really, really, really smart. He just can't get out of his own way. No, he can't. And that's why he'll never have, and we won't, but he'll never have anybody who actually like follow him. He'll get somebody to work there. But don't understand. He's a really, guys, you got to give it to him. No, he knows how to make money, man. Yeah. But damn it. And he knows it too. He knows it's his downfall. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think he's similar to me too. I think he had a tough growing up. So he's trying to make up for it. Oh, it's got to yeah. be something there. Anytime yeah. you're doing like donuts in the parking lot, I'm like, you want to come work for me? Like, no. I just got, uh, yeah. But we're at any rate, I mean, teach their own, I suppose. But the premise of the show, and this has been, we might even have to like two part this, but that's dope, dude. I mean, the reality is this, you don't often get, we've had some really good guests on the show and like Ryan Stuman, who's my other coach. He's, you know, obviously very successful. What's he doing? Adam, Ryan owns... A few different companies like yourself. Most of them are like tech driven. He's got a real estate portfolio that's pretty big. He was in mortgages, so not like us. Which but, which company? I can't remember. So no, mortgage is a great business. It is. Well, yeah. I don't know about now, but it's still now. If you yeah. know how to, if you know how to, like my buddy Matt, I was talking about. He's just he does it so smart yeah. because it's all about the agents. It's all about the real estate agents who are the vessel for the homeowners. And if you are willing to work harder than everybody else, because mortgage brokers get quick money or yeah. really lazy, mm-hmm. then you can win. But anyway, yeah. And he was one, he reminds me so much of you and that like Ryan owns Apex. Apex is a mastermind group and he's really dialed in on like monetizing a network. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It's everything. That's, what it that's is. why I'm, I'm in this group called YPO and it's. And that's it, what I wanted is, to join. It is by put the way. me on an express pass. Join. Well, join. You can join EO, the, the entrepreneur's which is the junior one now. What I you should. And I would love to. And I, I saw when, when you sent me that, that's what got me interested in Apex. But I just so happened to, I asked Ryan, he would put an offer out on social media that he was going to take somebody on coach, but I didn't know Apex existed, which is his mastermind that he owns. And again, I know you're not a huge social media and guy. I have social media. But he's like a big brand on there. And I follow all these guys, Grant Cardone, um, Bradley, I don't know if you, you probably know Cardone. I've heard of him. Yeah. But I mean, like they, 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 a lot of those guys placate to the young sales guy and like, that's, they're following all those guys. But what I love about you is like, you're like, you said, you're not even on social media. You're on LinkedIn, but there's a reason you're on LinkedIn LinkedIn. because you're on the business social media. Yeah. Yeah. You're all business, dude. I got on LinkedIn a lot because of install services and the B2B and then the recruiting part of it. It's business. Bringing people to the company. You're huge on there. Yeah. So you have to, you know, you kind of have to be in the business mm-hmm. if, if you're, if you're trying to bring sales reps to work for you. And other I have done more. so poorly on that. I can't figure it out. Which part? I can't, I've gotten like two people to look at my like thing, my whole page. I don't know. I get no engagement. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I don't know. I don't really know what the key is because I, I didn't kind of happen. I'm not, that's one, th- you know, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not. Um, I'm good at guerrilla marketing, face-to-face marketing. I was going to ask you that. 
not to What's the question. Go ahead. Well, you were talking about recruiting, and one thing that we're I don't want to say struggling with, but what's different in this year's uh, it's not like you can just turn on indeed. And it has been getting better, but we talked about this and you were like, dude, physically feet on the ground, go to the places where people are. Yeah. That's still- one thing. So I'll tell you this. If you want to recruit, you can. Okay. It's just like running leads, man. Like, you know, the leads too small or they they can't afford it or it's too far. Or there's too many other estimates or the price to it, whatever it is, it's the same with recruiting. Sure. Recruiting is harder now. There's no doubt. Whatever this generation is, it's, it's so foreign to me of the hard works coming early, stay late mentality. There's still people out there. They need jobs. You might need more of them. Um, I always say my biggest breakthrough in this industry was 2008 after the crash is where all my successes started because I was staring. It was like right after it happened. And I have until the last couple of years, COVID was tough for me. I never really did not hit a goal that I set. I never didn't hit this blow the sale, blew every number. If you set a goal in front of me, I will smash it. Right. And right after the, 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 the crisis, the crash in 08, for like a couple of days, we just stopped selling. Right. And all the banks were closing up. And I remember a couple of them went out of business and, you know, so we couldn't finance the rates were going up and the cost was going up and everything was going crazy. Unemployment hit 17%. So I was like, I had my head on the desk and I had the numbers sitting on the ground and I was like almost in tears. And I was looking at our, our set, like leads, gen leads run closing percentage, no percentage, cancel percentage thing. I was like, what am I going to do? Oh my God. I've gone two days without and like success is really doing the right thing and being successful. And, and, you know, I always want to please people, right? I want to please Tope. I want to please my wife by earning. I want to please my co-managers by working harder. I work hard because I want to please people, right? I want to make other people happy. So like, I feel I'm letting them down. If we're not, I'm like, like all these people I'm letting down. If I don't sell, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I've gone two days without selling. I'm like practically curled up in a ball and I was like looking at that first number, which is leads gen. And I was looking at the closure percentage, which back then was like 40 something percent. It was solid. I was going to say it's not and, bad. And, but the last two days it had been 20%, right? Uh, and I was like, well, if I just double that number, then all the other numbers are the same. In fact, if I triple it, it'll be even better. So I was like, all right, how do I get more canvassers? Well, it's that then it was 17% unemployment. I was like, I'm going to recruit everybody. So yes, Face-to-face recruiting. We we're on the colleges. We we're on the, the high schools. Yes. We ran ads in Craigslist for a- anywhere there was a job ad. I put an ad wow. nursing at home care, you know, um, you name it. I'm in Craigslist. My ad was in there 18,000 times. And I said, just line everyone up for an interview. Whatever they asked for the job was just say job, get them in my door. And I'm telling you that was at Fairfax office and Keith and I back then, we had a line out the door every day and we were just hiring people left and right. These are people with law degrees and this, and they, we were just hiring them. Come in here. I will pay you per lead. You will get paid. You will go out tonight. You will get paid tomorrow and you will generate leads. And we built a canvas force. And we went, that was when we really skyrocketed. We just built this canvas force overnight um, to, and uh, to, to just exploded because now we had, more boots on the ground, more. So, so what was the moral of that? That is now is that I could land them, right? I could get that person in front of me. So if you're having trouble recruiting, 
Who's doing your interviewing? How much time are you spending on them? Are you really investing in the time of these people and getting to know them? Are you, are you pre-qualifying the candidates or are you just filling your waiting room with people that are looking for a job? Right. For us, what I can't, what I can, is that we, it's getting people even into that front door. So it's getting people. So, so, you, so whatever you're doing, you need to do more of it. Uh, you need to do it differently and you need to just get people yeah. in there. Whatever bait you're using is not attractive to the fish aren't biting. Yeah. I so think some of the things we've it's seen. It's not necessarily just spending more money either because yeah. that, that is not giving the same yield right now. Um, so you might have to go back to, yeah, going out to where the people are is definitely one way people to do it. We go to malls, we go to this, we go to another, but we are back to having success on Craigslist. We're seeing, you know, that we weren't for a while. Um, yeah. I was going to say it has, it has recently, it's not like it was. It's de- like people are actually showing up from indeed and these other yeah. sources where dude, they just were not. Yeah. But now the, as no, of the, the last yield is weeks, not the same, which means you need more people, more candidates. Just like if you need more leads, write the same volume, you need more candidates yeah. to hire the same people. Um, and you need more out of the people. Right. When, when in times like this, you have to get more out of your people. Mm. You have to ask more of them. It's Even hard. the ones that you already have. Yes. Yeah. You got to ask more of them. It's hard. I remember uh, just yesterday I was talking to my head of the guy who runs sales about his sales manager. And I said, we need, we need him doing some, something different above and beyond. Now we were talking about basically that instead of using our dispatchers, he needs to issue the leads. He said, man, I don't know what to do. He doesn't want to do it. He says, you have the time. I said, it's fine. I know he's not going to love you for it, but just, it's either just tell him he's already done it. Or the leads aren't going to get run. Well, he's not, he's a winner. So he's not going to just sit there and the leads aren't going to, going to go out. He'll do it and he'll be successful because he'll be touching his reps. He'll be, he'll be picking the right leads. He'll be on top of it better and he'll start making money and then he'll, he'll, you'll win. So you right. got to get more because right now it's, Stuff is ex- labor's expensive, materials are expensive, right. leads are expensive, closing is down, rates are expensive, which means in these times, the only way to be successful is to get more out of what you have. Right. You can't just start adding. <clears throat> I understand it, 100% what you're saying. Like maybe, well, yeah, that's not complicated. Get more out of what people that you have. In fact, Matt, the gentleman we were just talking with, he's like, dude, I'll, I'll dispatch. Right. In fact, I love doing it, you yeah. know, and, and you get to touch the reps, you get to talk to me, get to touch the leads. Would you say that it's okay if that's, you know, cause you know what we're trying to do and we're still piecing things together. We're still growing, but everything that I'm doing, I'm thinking towards private equity scale. And so if something doesn't seem scalable to me, even that model, like we were talking about. So I started pushback like right away because inherently I'm like, well, we can't private equities buying people. D- d- you know, it, this company, if it makes profits, it will sell period. Yeah. Nothing. They don't, that is, that is a, a, a farce really, or a misconception. They care about how you do it. They want growth year over year growth. And they, more importantly, they want profit. They do not care. They could go to the company with the best systems on the planet. You don't have that. Profit no systems are making planet because you're doing everything. They want to buy you and they want to buy the cash that you're producing because they can take that cash and make a lot of money with it. Mm. Cause they're just about a, 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 mar- a yield, you know, uh, uh, dropping debt on your balance sheet, helping you grow your company, creating systems within it, creating efficiencies, growing that and then selling it again. Yeah. So, which is crazy. I didn't know. So that yeah, that's do awesome. not make decisions based on what you think will be when you get there. Just work really what? hard about, you know, creating profits and growth. And then that result 
will just come, you know? Um, and that's, you know, it kind of, it's kind of the way David from green sky said it. Cause for a while I wanted to create a CRM. Um, right. my buddy Pat beat me to it on the, on the contract thing. And I, I really admire him for it. At the same time, I was thinking about doing something very similar. And, um, I actually put a lot of money. I, I tried it a few times. Tope and I both put a lot into it. Um, and what David from Green Sky said, I said, you have this incredible platform at Green Sky. I said, look, I tried to make a tech platform and failed. And then I just became oh, just to be amazing at Green Sky and make it the most technologically advanced. And it became a tech platform. Wow. So, you know, focus on making your business, you know, as profitable and, and working as hard as you can. And then those, you know, those future things will come from it. So if if your, your instinct is my guy's going to issue the leads or, but I need to hire a, a dispatcher so I can have a system of being done. It's not scalable. That's the wrong way to go. Yeah. Get, get as much as you can out of your best people. Then yeah. when they are beyond their capacity, right. And growth and um, incentives are paid for by profits. So you generate a lot of profit and then you can start paying your people more. And once you do that, then you can start growing, but you doesn't, you can't buy those things. You can't pay people more to get there. Cause you don't have profit and you can't just grow by hiring people until you have profit. Sure. Yeah. We had a phenomenal year last year and that's where these guys come from, you know, is that, and I've been trying to be tight because I have been keeping my eye on. You seem I, smart with it and you should. I mean, we've been, we've been strategically putting the right pieces in place and we're just kind of like, I wanted to have it all there before April. It's April. They're here, but they're not ready, but that's okay. I mean, it is what it is. And when I say they're not ready, like he's just getting here, he's just getting started, but just the same insurance is doing really well, but the retail was important for me to get back on. Cause that's what I, that's what I know. Yeah. And I was going to do it just like I was trying to do every, but that was just like, I'm doing this, but I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. And it never really got off the ground. You know what I mean? It might be like me closing something or one other guy, but he's going to really shine. Cause to your point, he can probably, he can be better in that role than I can yeah. right now. That's just all there is to it. Yeah. Know? Which is cool to hear what you said. It wasn't just like you went and did everything. You had the foresight uh, to say, well, actually, yeah, I'm going to be the CFO, but we need this guy doing this, this guy doing this, that, which I believe is CFO's role. CEO. Right? CEO. I'm excuse me. Yep. I'm far from a CFO. No. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Would they mind sitting in the other room? I'd be a terrible CFO. Yeah. No. CEO yeah. is the executive who's put, you know, putting people in the right seats. And I think that's what I've been trying to focus more on. And ultimately I can see now like, okay, this is going to really yield some good results. I hope so. But it looks like it's going to, we got to, dude, we got a hell of a team. And, and I think the, the way it will yield results is you don't let the bad results get you down. You know, that's one of the things too, is I am completely immune to letting failure bother me. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just, I don't take it personally. I don't, you know, I just motivates me to work harder. I, I invite and welcome criticism constantly because I want to know what I'm doing wrong. I want to see what I don't see. Um, if something doesn't work, I don't, I don't say, oh man, I'm a failure. I shouldn't have tried that. I just motivates me to like, oh, that was, that's awesome that I learned what not to do. And now I'll just work harder at something else. Yeah. And you do, dude, that's another thing. I'm big on schedule and stuff. And these yeah. are all things I've tried to my, like my fiance, probably 
I was joking, say that she's not a fan of you. I'm sure she is, <laughs> but I've tried to like emulate your schedule. It's just not for me right now. It's really hard because I have my, first of all, I'm an AA and I don't, I'm in a 12 step program uh -huh. that likes to remain, remain anonymous uh, at the level of press, radio and film. So I shouldn't really, but the point is, is I do things at night. That's my current schedule. I could do it in the day. I could do it, but it's hard for me to kind of maintain what you do, at least where I currently live. But I just bought that house in Annapolis, dude. You didn't even nice. know that. No. Just bought a house Sweet. in Annapolis. So we're going to be 15 minutes away. So I'll be able to be a lot more, uh, at least getting up a little earlier and being more consistent. Cause so, so my mission in life, I know that I was put on this earth for two things. And one is to bring people together. And I do that all the time. I'm just constantly bringing people together all over in, in my universe and uh, it's like a gift to see what blossoms from it. Like I'm always introducing people and putting together and businesses come from it. Friendships come from it, whatever. And then the other is to what you were talking about to kind of share my passion for continuous self-improvement and biohacking and exercise and, you know, mindfulness and all the, the things that I do on a daily basis, my morning ritual. Which is what? So I know what it is. Yeah. But. So, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, kind of, you know, the miracle morning, Hal Higdon's miracle morning, you know, do, setting your, your day with intention. Um, I've been doing it before I knew what that was. It actually, you know, one of the things that really solidified it was I, um, learning about other people like Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, people I admired that were early risers and, you know, uh, it's hard workers and, and what that brought. Um, and then I, you start to really enjoy it. That, that time in the morning, that's dark out and you're working. I actually saw a show too, um, house of cards. Right. And there was this guy's character in the show that gets up at like three in the morning every day in the show. And he's like the guy that's like the puppet master behind the scenes that, that runs politics. You know, he's some nefarious character, but all the scenes with him, it's three in the morning, it's pitch dark out and he's, you know, running the universe. And I just kind of loved that image of it. So I wake up very early, very every morning. I, um, exercise first thing vigorously, whether it's boxing or, or, uh, weightlifting or my new passion, which is hockey. I play hockey. Really? Uh, yeah. And, um, or I, um, and then I meditate, which is one of the hardest things to do. My brain moves so fast. I move so fast to slow down and meditate is unbelievable. It's, it's, and it's practicing discipline because discipline is a muscle. The more you, more you do curls, the easier it becomes. The more you practice doing things that are hard, which is why I do like those cold, I do cold baths. I put myself in freezing cold water in the morning. Why? Because I'm forcing myself to do something I want to do. So if you can put yourself in 35 degree water, then you, you can, do, do you that. can, you can, oh yeah, every day. I want to do that so bad. Yeah, I you got to buy one. I, I bought a, from Tractor Supply, my buddy, Greg, referred, I just bought it online. It's like That's a giant tub. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He got the same one because Greg, my buddy Greg is the same guy that did, you know, Greg and me, I connected those two and they just exploded. Um, that's cool, man. Yeah. So anyway, so I do, you know, I do my morning fitness and exercise and supplements and mindfulness and journaling. And, and I used to get up at three. I do not anymore. Now I get up around five um, because I learned uh, Peter T is like my favorite podcast. And I learned about the only thing I was missing in life and health and success and everything was sleep. 
I didn't think I needed it. And I hadn't slept in so long as I worked so hard and around the clock. I only sleep at three, four hours a day. And I, and I never get tired. Um, part of it, the, my mom was severely mental, Ill, mentally ill. And she had like severe bipolar, manic and depressive episodes. I'm like hyperthymic where I have, I'm like, I'm not manic, you know, where I'm uh, like crazy, but I'm like on that endless energy kind of thing. So I was never tired ever. But then I learned later that sleep is actually kind of important. So that's why I forced myself to sleep until five. It's not what I want to do. I want to get up at three. So I want to do all these things, but I had to work out faster, quicker, smarter. I had to change different things, do yoga in five minutes instead of 15, meditate in 10 instead of 20, whatever. But, um, yeah. So just that, that way of starting that day, that way I can't lose. I mean, we've had some tough time again, you know, with the rate changes and all these things, it's yeah. another month where the things are just tough again. Yeah. If I didn't wake up and attack that, that morning ritual to set my mind, right. There's no way I can go to work and face all that shit. Yeah. I would just so be, hard right just now. be depressed. Um, yeah, it's really hard. So that morning routine is just, because given what we're going through again and similar to 08, maybe worse. I don't fucking know, but it's not good. So the way, and the other way I see it, which is just straight, I just know what motivates me. I still want my wife to think I'm a tra- Like I want my wife, who's the hottest girl I've ever seen in my life. I can't, still can't believe she's with me because I still, I like, when I, I may be in like in good shape now and all those things, but I still see that nerdy lurking Howard Stern guy in the mirror. I want her to be attracted. I'm like, if I don't work out, she's not going to like me. So I'm like doing curls, thinking about that. I think about my company and like, I need to come in there with energy and attack and I need to be a role model. So I think about them. Like I'm, I'm thinking about, I want to be clear headed. Like, so I better, that's why I don't drink. Right. So, you know, I don't have my mom died from addiction. So I stay far away from that, you know, um, but I don't drink because I don't want to be, I need to be clear headed in the morning. Yeah. I don't want to be hung over. Like yeah. I don't, I don't ever want to be, I don't ever want to be drunk and off and do something wrong. Right. It's right. not, it just, it's just not for me. Right. Um, it, it, I can't be who I want to be if I'm slow in the morning. Right. So what's, how much sleep are you getting at night? So I've progressed it up to like five hours, five and a half. I wear the aura ring. I track it. I do some supplements. I meditate. Do they say five and a half is good enough for you? I no, mean, you need seven, eight. It's, it's, it's a big, it's, just, it's the area of life that I'm, I am mortgaging my future. I yeah. am, I am, I want to live to hundred. I'm going to live to 118. I want to be clear. Headed Don't you and, have to like get the sleep to do that, dude? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's I what my fiance is. So the way, what sleep. I'm telling myself is <clears throat> I'm going to achieve the goals, which there's a, my biggest goal right now is home fix it's growth and success above all. I, luckily, I don't need to enslave services, pure finance. I have nothing. Again, um, I have no zero involvement really with solar energy world. Just very blessed to be part of the group. Home fix is my only focus. I have a goal to achieve with home fix right now. Once that is achieved, the next goal is sleep. Yeah. I'll allow myself that because I know it's not an excuse and I will do it. I will. If I set my mind to something, there's rarely things that I haven't, I will go to the extreme. I will get to be an eight hour, eight hour a night sleeper and still be able to get my goals. It scares me. Cause I don't get that either. I don't get as little as you, but sometimes I do on accident, but she's told me all kinds of crazy, like diseases, Alzheimer's, all this stuff. Alzheimer's. So the easiest way I got it was I gave up television at night. So period. I, it, 
I mean, I, re- I haven't really probably turned on a television in years and years. I watch hockey with my kids, you know, when the games are on different times, it's the only time I'll ever really turn it on, but it's the only way to go to sleep. Cause once you start watching television, you just, and it's an, it's an addiction. Like I love to sit back and just put on Netflix and not think about yeah. the day, but to force myself to instead meditate and read and go to sleep and go to, you know, set my bedtime routine so I can fall asleep and do a deep sleep at nine yeah, 30 or 10 o'clock thing. at night. You can't do it if you're sitting around watching TV, that blue light and all that stuff. It's, yeah. it's I, we've talked about this before, but yeah, no, I, I come I, home at seven. What drives my wife nuts? I turn all the lights off in the house. Our house is like, cause she's the exact opposite. She wants the house like pitch black in the morning where I'm at three in the morning, with the lights music on. And she wants every light in the city on at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the only thing. Cause usually I just, anything she wants, I, I give her, but I'm like, just, let me turn the lights off at night. I just let me bring down because I need to slow. My, and I, my kids are like me. So I need to slow their mind down. And my son will sit up like me all night, staring at the wall. And then he'll three in the morning. He's up with me. Yeah. Um, I know that's not good for him. I'm going to create a little mini me. Yeah. Well, I mean, there could be worse things, yeah. but I understand what you're saying, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm uh, there's so much science and stuff to it. And honestly, man, I, we've never, this is like two hours, dude. That's wild. I didn't feel like it. Our normal yeah. is 30 minutes. Mina's was an hour. So we'll break it into two. I mm-hmm. mean, dude, we got, we got the man himself in here, man. So Adam champagne, not to be confused with Adam light beer, who is the weaker, more modest version. I don't know if that guy exists, but you got to be a stud. If you're, you're going to be, you're bringing champagne. me back to my childhood. <laughs> oh man, the, the, the childhood version of Sorry. you is Adam. Just beer. Motiv- I'm just going to go work out again. I was just motivated. <laughs> no, man, Adam, uh, dude, you're my freaking, you're mine and probably many industry, uh, guys here locally. He's, uh, I mean, you're our MJ, man. So we all look up to you and I know I talked to John about it and I look up to John, man. Yeah, he's all awesome. guys have killed it and he's just such a good dude. And he's mentored me. And so now I've like, look at my, you know, stable, if you will, of like mentorship. And I've got, and he this, like, seeks mentorship too. Like you do, like I do, I seek more there. Are, I mean, you say this like MJ and all that, dude, I have a lot of what has, I've been blessed to surround myself with people that make me look, you know, like a freaking, you know, like I work at seven 11. Um, and, uh, not that that's you know, not a great job, but, um, I have, I, I surround myself with every mentor I can, everyone that can rub off me. I want to mimic them. I want to say the same things mm-hmm. they say. I want to do the same things they do. I want to regurgitate. I hear something that they say, that's brilliant. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say it again. So yeah, John and you, the same way that just, we're, we're humble enough to recognize we've got a lot to learn from other oh people. And uh, if you do, it's, it's a superpower. Humbleness is a superpower. An ego is something that will just, just, and we all have it. You got to recognize it. You know, recognize when you're making a decision over your eagle ego or what's right. But humbleness, if you can stay humble, it is, it, it makes you unstoppable. I love that. Humbleness is a superpower. That's a clip right there. That's so true. One, and there's a gentleman I want you to, if you ever get a chance, his name is Kurt Lennington. It's linear roofing out of Texas. They just sold for 140. Wow. Um, 9.5 X, but he reminds me so much of you minus the ADD element that you and I connect yeah. on. That's really where every time I met like with a GAF person or a, you know, SRS person or something, I'm like, introduce me to that guy. I want to know that guy. Yeah. Meet me that. Cause I want to meet all of them. And then, and then instinctually what's great is they're used to all the egos in this industry. So all I do is just humble myself to them. Like, dude, I am so 
grateful to meet you. I've heard so much about you, like, and ask some questions about their business and they will open the world right. to you. If you go in there and just try and be a big shot, oh man, I'm, you know, I got so much money. I'm so successful. I'm so that, and it's, it's that, what I told you, vulnerability is the currency to a quick relationship. In some way or another, I'm going to sell some self-deprecating joke about some failure or like insecurity that I have that I know they have too. And then we'll instantly relate. And then all of a sudden we're sharing the best secrets with each other because we trust each other. Yeah. Because uh, all the things that I have that I, I've done, I only know what I've done. If I can get all these other people's experience, I, I can grow my company so much faster. That is exactly what I said. And I've got the, the my, my my current mastermind group that I'm working on, which if you were on Facebook, I'd bring you in, but you will undoubtedly be brought in, period. So it's Blue Collar Ballers. Cool name, right? <laughs> and it's a bunch of roofing and solar sales guys, but other things like bathrooms and interiors, but we'll do one live event a year. I got to have you speak at it, dude. I know your engagement stuff is like, but one time, someday. Yeah. I know what you got going on. right. I'm now. not speaking at all right now. I'm not traveling not. or, or I know. Try. One, of, one of the things I, I really try and do is stay focused too. Um, but one day, you, maybe you, man, who knows one day, I know what you got going on right now, man. I wouldn't ask, but yeah, I would be, I'd be awesome. But honestly, man, I just want people to see you cause they don't know. Cause they only know the faces and the personalities and social media. And I'm like, dude, you have, I got a guy back home that, but uh, Kurt would be somebody for you to meet. You would love Kurt, dude. He's such a cool dude. He's such a cool guy. And but he's reminds me so much of you. He's just sold. And honestly, what you do, you basically were doing the same in terms of growth. Because you said what fifty, sixty, something like that. You guys were at. Yeah, I mean, if you combine all of it, we're we're north of maybe close to two hundred million. If you combine right. everything together, but would that be bought as a group? Um, I, I don't know. Right now I'm just focused on making home fix the most right, profitable, right. successful company is the right. only it's, it's, it's single. If I distracted by anything else, I, and I've seen it, I lose traction at home. Yeah. Fix. The second I start thinking about the bigger picture or this or that, it, it's like immediately it's nothing. If I don't have a profitable, yeah. well-run Dude, company, home fix is all for shit. <laughs> I tell it all gets back to that ego or it gets back to the trying to cheat there without the hard work. It just doesn't happen. I have, Again, the consulting and then the mastermind. And I tricked myself and like, well, both of those play into, but to your point and the guys that are in this leadership group all want to be involved in it. And they, I can tell definitely the mastermind group is more appealing because it means status or it means getting on a stage or something at some point. But I'm like, yeah. dude, none of that means anything. Yeah, the, this isn't, this is what ultimately, why would they care what we have to say? If the, this isn't successful, the reason to, to do those speeches and stuff like that is not, especially for someone like me, who's still has that insecure kid inside of him. But I know that it's a means to an end to meet more yes, people, to 100%. open doors to people, to bring people into my company, to spread, you know, that, you know, there's, there's a million opportunities that opened to me ever since I first qualified remodeler that I spoke at and people liked what I had to say. And then all of a sudden there's this opportunity yeah. and that opportunity just opening doors to me. Brother, that's exactly why the podcast, all of the things that I'm like, cause I believe you're hundred percent right. And I didn't realize any of that mm -hmm. until the mastermind and meeting people. I'm like, dude, networking is a freaking, to your point, like the only way I'm going to get anywhere else quicker than I otherwise would on my own is to find somebody who's already done it. And the great networkers do not network to get something from the other person. I don't want your business. I don't want your money. Right. I want to learn from you. Mm -hmm. And you, it is like, you, 
you will 100% get an open, uh, you know, generous feedback and conversation with somebody. If you go into it, just looking to learn from that yeah. person, the other stuff will come. Yeah. You'll end up, you know, we, we, my partners appear always joke with me. I sit on a plane with them. By the end, I've opened a business with them. Yeah. Like the things, the other things will come like it just go into it to learn about that person and to like genuinely appreciate what they have to offer. All that other stuff will come out of it. Yeah. Just naturally will. It's people. It's magic. Like yeah. you said, I love that about you too. You said that I say, I always joke. I can't pump gas without like getting to know the person next to me. Right. And then I also can't be successful here without having the best installers and the best measure yeah. text is everyone. If you have to, there's so many people. And again, I, you know, learn this Tope is the same way. We have so many people that have been in the company 10, 20, 30 years. They don't leave because if you got to appreciate and love what they, what they bring to the table and, and that they get so much out of it. Cause there is no me without them. Yeah. And they don't leave because yeah. to your point, right. that's the mark of a good company. Cause they appreciate them. They know you're going to take them with you along the way. You know, everybody that works for me in an executive position, go out and start their own company tomorrow in five seconds. But they've decided they've chosen to be part of this team because they think together we're more powerful and we could do more together. And I've never faulted anyone. There might be 30 people that have gone and started their own company. And every single time I say, let me know how I can help. <laughs> and because yeah. of that, I've had, instead of suing them, I've had incredible <laughs> success because I end up financing for them or installing for them or just keeping a, a, a friend or a peer. They might end up more successful than me. And yeah. I can learn from them. It's such a great attitude to have. And I've, yeah. I've done, I know I've done uh, similar things and not had that good of an experience, but I'm nowhere near. But you know what? If yeah. you just keep doing the right thing yeah. at the end, you win. You might not. Yeah. You maybe you didn't make your similar experience. You didn't make money that day or maybe you heard that month didn't work, but at the end you're here. Yeah. You're absolutely right, man. So it all, it all, that, that journey brought you here, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you did the right thing. It got you right here. Did those little failures along the way. It's not just a catchphrase. Like uh, Winston Churchill is my biggest, you know, hero and, and follower, uh, you know, success is just going from failure to failure without a lack of enthusiasm. And he's not just saying that it's the truth. The most successful people we have failed a million times and it does not slow us down. Right. We don't sit and dwell on God damn it. That guy took from me and he stole and he went out and he took my clients. He took, here's go, go, go have more. fun. Go. Yeah. Love it. It's great. Get more. Yeah. I'm not, he's more. not even to exist to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I spent one minute. I love the attitude, dude. Adam, uh, dude, first of all, we've got two hours worth of content. This is awesome. So thank you so much for like, I knew how much your time, I know how valuable it is. And I say this in all seriousness and I was so flattered that you would even come in personally. That meant the world to me uh, because I was like, I got to try to get this guy on Zoom, even though we have Zoom for the people out of state. But I was like, there's no way well, I can. If it makes you feel better, I missed like four meetings that I was scheduled on because I, I didn't think this thing was going to go this long. Yeah. So, uh, me call. either. No, no, no. I, first of all, we got two, we got two episodes, so I'm like stoked. A thousand texts. And, uh, but look, man, I'm so thankful for you coming on and I, uh, I can't wait to do it again here soon, man. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the next one. All right. Thanks brother. Thanks buddy. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. We sure do appreciate it. 
If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. It is how new people find the show. Until next time, remember, there's always a seat at the table for business.